So have we arrived at the place of unqualified recommendations now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are just movies we think absolutely hit. You must watch these movies. I think top. that's my top 20. My top 20 is like, all of these are absolute timeless jams. Yeah. Is there a such thing as the inarguably good movie? Ooh, yeah. I mean, that's the questions of subjective versus objective. Yeah. Right, yeah. I don't know. I think movies can be objectively well made and objectively poorly made, but that subjective... Even those metrics are subjective, I mean, yeah. The other component is always going to be us. Mm-hmm. Right, right, and that's, yeah. There's no perfect movie. Because you can make the argument that movies are... It's perfect ...are bad. That movies are not good. As right. They're, they're, they're social ill. Yeah. I, you could go back to the 1930s and make that argument, and you know what? I'm, I'm not going to argue that strongly against you. Media is sort of a mixed bag overall. Yeah. Right. I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm just curious, you know, to, to how much we're really putting our flag out of here on these... Yeah, did you, you see films. how I have to backtrack and be like, well, movies movies don't even matter. Yeah, yeah that's I, I get to the top 20 and I'm, I'm cagey about even liking cinema. Because I, I do still feel as though your mileage may vary. I think these are the 20 best movies, but I also think that they are my 20 best movies. Oh, yeah. And that's right. any list. Right. Yeah, not every movie in my top 20 is a great time. Yeah, no. Most of them definitely are. And yeah. Even the ones that are kind of a bummer are still yeah. pretty cool. But... Yeah, yeah. I don't, you know, some of my movies are weird. I think lists are just helpful for learning about new things mm-hmm. and seeing what's out there, and just uh, you know, invoking thought and discussion. Is there anything that you've learned? Any any, any uh, go, going into this last run of these? Is there any anything you're taking into the home stretch? I need to watch more movies. That's sort of where I'm at. Yeah, yeah. that's always like the challenge. I yeah. could have had a better top 100. I watched Umbrellas of Sherberg the other day, mm-hmm. and it's great. It's a great movie. It's one of my favorite musicals. Probably it's not on the list because I hadn't seen it till a yeah. week ago. Somebody was talking about The Witch. No, it was something like fairly recent, but not that recent. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, somebody was talking about a movie, and I went, "Oh, didn't even consider making it in the top 100." Forgot yeah. about that movie. Yeah. yeah, and I've forgotten about it again. So uh, all <laughs> that to say, watch more movies. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. yeah La Nate is a movie I need to catch. You know, another Antonioni film that's supposed to be like great, but just, yeah, nope. a lot of movies. Hmm. Yeah. You can't beat yourself up. I haven't for it. seen a single Fellini film, not a one. No, yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. Fellini's uh, La Strada's good. I mean, it's not on my list. It's but that's the next one I'd recommend. No, I'm just saying, like eight and a half. And I haven't seen a half. single Ozu movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I got, I got blind spots. But uh, well, hey, I'm still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. I'm allegedly still Dalton. And if you've been listening to this uh, podcast in sequence, we're now ready for our top 20. So we're going to have three sets of 20 movies, each of us, uh, talking about the best movies we think ever. Yeah. Welcome to the end of the marathon. It's been a fun ride for us. I hope you enjoyed it. It is very, very exciting times. I guess uh, there's no other upkeep, housekeeping, or other um, ado to forego. Not, not unless you have another table setting question. I, I have none whatsoever. I, I Okay, it's forks on the left, knives on the right, table setting. I have, I have a great many table mm-hmm. setting questions because mm-hmm. I don't know how to set and tables. And the sawed off underneath. The sawed off underneath always. always yeah, yeah. Yes, directly. Keep, it, po- keep that thing on you. Pointing at crotch level at yeah, all times. Yes, yeah. very, very important. Uh, All right, so uh, now that we know that, um, you know, cross your legs, and here we go. Uh, Number 20 for me, 1973, William Freakin's The Exorcist. It's come up already. Mm -hmm. It's an incredible movie. Uh, It's an incredible movie. I don't know what else to say. Uh, The celluloid is not uh, possessed of Satan. Sorry, Billy Graham. And it is... um, But wouldn't it be cool if it was? (laughs) (laughs) No. 
I've seen that movie. It always goes badly. But I do think it is uh, an incredibly well-made, well-paced film, uh, a great exemplar of just great 70s filmmaking, and I think a movie that does really kind of thread the needle between, you know, kind of a black magic of religion and the white science of uh, the 20th century. And so doing both those things together, I think it, it, it just works. I think by speaking it, Billy Graham made it so. Is that it? Yep. I don't make the rules about how magic works. <laughs> so uh, that's 20 for me. What's 20 for you, Arthur? Uh, 20 for me is the uh, aforementioned uh, in the past, the passion of Joan of Arc. Yeah. Um, I, I just think it is. Uh, it, it looks incredibly modern. Um, I think it is foundational uh, visual cinema. Uh, if you're talking about close-ups. You have to go talk about passion of Joan of Arc. I don't think you can talk about the close up without looking at that. And then rooted in that performance, that central Joan of Arc performance is just tragic and captivating. And it's all done through looks and stares. Uh, and that to me is wildly impressive. And though for all of that, I, I think it is just, uh, it, it's one of those movies, you know, we've, we've talked about, there's no perfect film, but I think there are films that if, if you call yourself a movie watcher, and, and, you know, uh, somebody who tries to see all the movies, you got to watch Joan of Arc, I think. Hmm. I, I think that is a, a must do. Yeah. Um, whether you'd like it or not. I mean, just for the technical elements, the creation of it, I, th I think it is worth noting and seeing. So it's Joan of Arc. Definitely makes an essentials of cinema list for sure. Uh, what comes in at 19 for you, Dalton? Or not We're still doing 20. My number 20. I'm going ahead. Is now. Nobuhiko Obayashi's... He's already done with his list. I'm, I'm, I'm rolling right through. House. House. Yeah. Thank you, Dustin. Hasu. You started telling me to watch this movie basically as soon as I met you, and I didn't get around to it until uh, I was forced to watch it for the show, and wasted years. That's what I'll say. Wasted years. This movie owns. There's nothing like it. It is uh, a horror comedy that is also a, a pretty potent... Uh, message of uh, so, of social history. Uh, it, it deals with the aftermath of the bomb in Japan, while also being an episode of Scooby Doo. Yes, uh, while also like being legitimately frightening at times, uh, like pretty scary in moments. Uh, but also having such an energy, not only with the filmmaking itself, like what appears on screen is always interesting. How it is edited together is interesting. How the special effects are designed is interesting. Some very great and clever sort of stop motion um, uh, special effects. Uh, very, very clever in camera stuff. It, there's nothing quite like it, truly. I, I could, you know, it's what if. All right, here we go. Are you ready for this one? Mm hmm. What if the house on Haunted Hill were more like Ghostbusters, but also a little bit more like Sailor Moon? Yes. Like, did I do okay? I think you did very well, yes. I think that's house. That's house in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. I, I think if you haven't caught, caught up with this one, you absolutely are doing yourself a disservice. You've got to catch this movie. Man, it's a good movie. It, it's wild. It, it's Again, it's funny. It's scary. It's got something to say. It's house. Very cool, very cool. Now we're moving to 19. My number 19 is the previously mentioned by both of my co-hosts, mm -hmm. Celine Sciamma's 2019 film, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh, costumes, acting, script, themes, movie, 
Yeah. There was an early version of my list where it made the top 20. Yeah, I I really love this movie. I'm so glad it made uh, the, the, the cut for the uh, the cream of the crop. For you. Yeah, it, it's two schemas. I have Girlhood ranked a little further backward from this one, uh, and I do think this is a little bit edgy as a superior film, but not by a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it, it just, man, it just works. It just absolutely works. And so uh, there you go. That's my 19. What's your 19, Arthur? Uh, my 19 is my probably my Dark Horse Hitchcock, and it is Rope. Uh, it's a movie that nice. I love uh, dearly. I think um, it exists uh, both as a gimmick, but also a very interesting ideological discussion uh, on philosophy. Um, but the idea of you know the experimental side of Hitch saying, "Let me see if I can shoot this as a single take." It is a fascinating thing, and today it's kind of like old hat because you can do it as easy as you want to digital. Um, but the fact that he's working with this giant oversized camera, everybody's having to move stages and pieces of the, the set are having to be moved around during uh, the performance so that they can get the camera where they need it to go. All of those kind of moments about it just boggle my mind that they're going to be able to pull it off as seamlessly as they do. Um, and I think it's great. I mean, it's great. Jimmy Stewart. It's, it's uh, a lot of fun uh, back and forth there with their other characters. Um, a lot of subtext to it. That's interesting to pick apart and dissect. Uh, I, I have it, uh, high and near and dear to my heart. It is Alfred Hitchcock's rope. Excellent. Excellent. What comes in at number 19 for you, Dalton? I also have sort of a true crime flavored, uh, pick at 19. It is Fritz Lang's M. Um, I like M. M is the wire before the wire kids. That's, that's what I'm going to say about him. Uh, it, it, it says, what does a string of child murders say about our society, and how do we even begin to deal with such a problem? How, who do we turn to? Can we trust the law? Probably not. Can we trust sort of uh, back alley deal makings? Can we can we trust uh, the 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 black market? Can we trust the the underbelly of our city? Sometimes more than we we think we can. Um, but also, law is probably necessary. Um, we can't just go around, uh, you know, murdering people uh, that that make us unhappy as a society. It asks a lot of questions and manages to do sh- do so with this absolutely incredible visual palette. You hear people talk about German expressionism, and you want you so you think to yourself, "Well, gee, that sounds interesting." And then you watch something like him, and you go, "Oh, uh, yeah. this is what people have been ranting and raving about." Yeah, uh, and, and as sort of a uh, pre uh, World War II film from Germany uh, in that run up to uh, the inevitable turn to fascism. It's very, very interesting from that sort of cultural historical perspective. Like it really, it's impossible to watch him and not think about what the next couple of decades are going to hold for Germany. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's a uh, boy, is it a hell of a movie? Uh, it's M. M. It's, the M's for murder. Is it, right. Murderer. Er, that's true. Mur- I guess it's probably murderer. Murderand. I didn't even mention Peter Lorre's incredible Peter performance. Peter is a, very good. As nearly silent, yeah. Nearly silent. Doesn't have a lot to do, but man, does he absolutely make the most of that, that role. Yeah, I mean, he definitely established himself as a as a force, as an actor. The movie has film. an incredible ending, too. Absolutely. Ugh. I love All that right. man. Uh, man I like him a lot. He'll come up a few more times, I think, in the future. Um, number 18 is uh, Alfred Hitchcock, also Arthur. It's Psycho, mm-hmm. because Psycho, and it's already been mentioned. I don't know if it's going to be mentioned any further. No, it's already been mentioned by both of us. Okay. No, yeah. 
No, did it make your list? It has made yet. Oh, uh, I thought you mentioned it already. You've tipped too much hand now. <sighs> I'm revealing Arthur's you, cards yeah, for him. You cannot enter the theater after the lights go out. You have to <laughs> obey the rules so that the experience can be ideal. But no, Psycho, it is that shower scene. It is Janet Lee dying when she does. It is everything about this movie that just absolutely works, which uh, Alfred Hitchcock found so befuddling that it worked so well He um, that it was so popular. He actually talked to Stanford University about them doing a study as to why do people like this movie. He mm. thought it was good. I mean, he was proud of his work, but he really didn't think it was great. Yeah. He didn't understand why. He thought he made sort of an okay one. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I made one of my movies. So, of course, it's wonderful because he definitely had an ego, but he was absolutely taken aback at his popularity. And so am I, but it's very good. I'm fascinated by how much true crime flavored movies we, we have, even this this high in the rankings. Mm-hmm. That sort of speaks to a lot of our interests, I imagine. So that's 18 for me. What comes in at 18 for you, Arthur? Uh, well, actually, it's uh, f- funny enough. It's in the uh, it's in the family line there. It's uh, it's the great the grandchild of Psycho. It is Wes Craven's Scream. Yeah, baby. Ah, nice. uh, 20 for Scream. I, I love it. I, I, I like love Scream. Scream a lot. Uh, and it's, it's one of those movies that uh, just I go back to a lot. And I, I watch it quite often uh, for movies. You know, I don't watch do a lot of rewatching, but it's one I watch uh, fairly often. I think it's uh, it's you know obviously falls at a very pivotal time for kind of mainstream horror uh, in, in the way it resets uh, the desire to see these sorts of movies at a mainstream level. Um, I think it's funny and it's got a great cast. Uh, obviously ripping so hard off Psycho and Halloween, uh, paying homage to and, and you know using those to sort of build this framework and then poking fun at it. Uh, in a, a slightly dark, s- s- broody way. Uh, it's a, a good 90s movie in that way as well, I think. But uh, yeah, N- Nev Campbell, Matthew Lillard, Skeet Ulrich. What a cast. It's a good time. It's a shame they had to kill two of their best actors in the first entry in the franchise. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Still works. Yeah. Does work. I love it. It's Scream. Very cool. Very cool. What comes in at uh, 18 for you there, Dalton? This is a masterclass. And how to make a movie about a group of people. Uh, and by a group of people, I mean group of people who do murders uh, as part of their profession. Uh, and that's, I'm going to remind you, all superhero movies. All superheroes are murderers and uh, hold up supremacist ideologies. Baron Don Zemo is right. The uh, Avengers made your list? No. But this is a movie <laughs> The Avengers script's from, and it's Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai. Ah, uh, uh, very good. Every movie is Seven Samurai. Every action movie is Seven Samurai. <laughs> I, I stand by this... With such economy does Kurosawa introduce us to our seven samurai. Uh, so quickly does he establish who each character is, what their quirk is, what their like virtue is. Like every scene we get of these character introductions, just boom, boom, boom. Everyone hits. Uh, this movie, if you haven't seen it, is, is really sort of remarkable in terms of its ability to keep being interesting for three hours. Like I, I can't, there's not anything like it really i i'm not big on long movies i know there's been some long movies on my list uh but by and large i i really get sort of crinkly eyebrows around the two hour 15 minute mark um but th- this is a movie that makes a case for for a long runtime because it gives you character development it gives you time to meditate on sort of what's going on uh and again it, it is at its roots at its simplest level it is just an action movie but I think there there is so much here about you know uh, 
trying to be a better person. And yeah, it's a story of redemptive violence, and we've got probably too many of those in too many of our cultures uh, around the globe. It's sort of an idea we can't get away from. But there is something here that's, that speaks to the necessity of violence sometimes, because there's always going to be groups of people who uh, uh, oppress and take advantage of those who cannot defend themselves. And uh, there, is, there is virtue sometimes in being able to defend other people, uh, being able to, to come to somebody's aid. Uh, and I think this movie speaks to that ideal very, very strongly and very profoundly, um, while still you know, taking violence pretty seriously. Uh, and and taking seriously the idea that it isn't just about finding people to protect you. You have to learn to be active in your defense as a community. Um, anyway, I think it's a great movie. It is a great movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's already come up for uh, with just, just your list, It was right? on my list, yeah. 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 I like Kurosawa a lot. All right, moving on then to number 17, uh, 1925 silent film from uh, Sergei M. Eisenstein. It's Battleship Potemkin. Uh, unlike Dalton's movie, which is all about establishing characters, this is about not really being interested in individuals as much as it is in the idea of a group's experience. Mm. Uh, conveyed through that magic known as Soviet montage editing, and it is the best example of this particular modernist style in filmmaking. And the Odessa Steps, because the Odessa Steps, because it is absolutely incredible uh, filmmaking right there. And it is something that's oft copied uh, in a great many films. Uh, examples of it are found everything from Ghostbusters 2 to The Untouchables. You can find a numerous uh, baby carriages, prams gone a wild, uh, and uh, the rescue that follows thereafter, uh, following Sergei M. Einstein's uh, great film, Battleship Potemkin. That's number 17 for me. What's 17 for you, Arthur? Uh, 17 for me is uh, the first and only appearance of one Denis Villeneuve, and that is Arrival. Uh, nice. This science fiction uh, movie about grammar uh, is, uh, is a hoot. <laughs> um, I, I think this movie has obviously so much to say about memory and family and life and parenting and loving one another um, all through the guise of trying to communicate with these shrouded giant alien creatures. Um, it debuted at a pretty uh, timely uh, appointment when uh, there was a lot of discussion of um, uh, refugees and uh, immigration and uh, still somewhat prescient to this day. Uh, it's got a lot on its mind, uh, but in in great new fashion, uh, it looks good, sounds good, is well-acted, well-written, uh, just checks all the boxes for me and, and just uh, is stuck with me since I saw it in theaters. And I think it's a great Amy Adams. It's a great Jeremy Renner performance. Uh, just, I think it's uh, career best for Jeremy Renner. Probably, yeah. 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 I mean, it's, I mean, it's he's, good at, he's good in Hurt Locker, but I, this is like, this gives him more to do almost. Yeah. It's a more sensitive uh, yeah. portrayal of, of a person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, just, uh, I, I like it a lot. I, I think it is just fascinating to watch. And, uh, taking something as mundane as linguistics and being able to make it interesting and easy to access and digest and uh, pivotal to do such uh, a kind of global phenomenon as invasion movie. Well, and it makes you like appreciate uh, how universal linguistics are, right? It yeah. makes mm -hmm. you kind of appreciate things that we take for granted every day. Yeah. yeah. Raise your sasser. Yeah. So there it is. It's uh didn't even use arrival. So there you go. What's 17 for you, Dalton. 
My number 17, I believe, has already made Arthur's list. Uh, this is another case of recency bias on my list. Uh, it's a 2021 film from Michael Cernofsky. It is his debut film, Pig. I love it. was on my it list. It was on your list. Yes. yes. I couldn't remember whose list it had made. Uh, what a what a beautiful little movie. I love uh, it. I, I uh, fell in love with it in theaters. I was so excited when we watched it uh, for the show. Uh, we just covered it a few months ago. You can go, go check that episode out. Um, we, we said a lot of things about it, and I, I, I think it was a pretty good episode. You know, mm-hmm. I do say so myself. Um, but I, I, I love this little beautiful movie about grace, uh, about America in the early 21st century, about uh, Nick Cage's career, about uh, food. Speaking of things we take for granted every day, uh, boys do a lot of really interesting things with food. And boy, does it make you think about food and fine dining and dining in general. You're making um, me hungry. Yeah, that movie. This movie makes me hungry. It does. It makes me sad too. Yes, it makes me smile. It does. It makes me feel a lot of things. <sighs> it's, it's, it's it's sort incre- of remarkable that way, huh? Yeah, it is, it, yeah. It's actually an astonishing film. I, I I can't believe somebody came out of the gate with this movie. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense that this is somebody's first film. I I don't get it. I don't. That's incredible stuff. Yeah, mine's way back in the list as far as closer to 100 than it is here. But mm-hmm. I mean, it very much with a little bit of time could easily crack my 20 eventually i think yeah I, I love it a lot yeah there's probably a mountain of short films tarnovsky's made that nobody's ever seen mm-hmm. and i'm very curious to see some of those movies just because this is this is you just this isn't the first thing somebody makes right uh, you know this this he's been tooling away for a while and uh, yeah i'm i'm glad uh our, our love of it is mutual and i arthur i know you liked it quite a bit when we talked about it as well mm-hmm. um I considered it quite a bit, but it, it was a recency thing that I wasn't sure if I was ready to put it on I here. fought with myself really hard about putting it this high. I did. I uh, think uh, with another, and Dustin had talked about it quite a bit at school one day, um, which added, I think, several levels to it for me. Um, but, I mean, as the kind of anti-John Wick, man-on-a-mission revenge movie, I think it's just groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I, like a, I, I love a lot about it. I could easily see it making this list in a few years after some more time and meditation on it. I've got a pretty action film forward top 100. So yeah, Mm -hmm. it means a lot to me, this movie that, that does something with those action movie tropes, but is, you know, we were just lamenting in seven samurai. There's too many movies about redemptive violence. And this is a movie that, uh, does really interesting things with violence. Redemptive grace in this case. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pig. All right, let's move on to our number 16, shall we? Number 16 is one I believe we might hear more of later. It is Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo from 1958. Jimmy Stewart, uh, Kim Novak, it is so messed up. It's a good movie. It is so good, but it is so messed up. I showed this movie this very semester Hmm. in a visual rhetoric course. How'd it go? Well, we we had to watch it in two parts because we watched it in class. Did you kind of give it the, the act break that makes sense? Uh, best I could. I tried to get as close as like, well, uh, I, I believe it was just before his, uh, little psychic break. Gotcha. So we did not get the incredible Saul Bass created. Yeah. You, you know, give him on that little Saul Bass cliffhanger. Madness. But, uh, they were, they, it took him a while to figure it out. It took him a while to figure out that Kim Novak was still Kim Novak. And that was part of it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, nonetheless, uh, once they figured out what it was, they're like, oh, this is so messed up. It, that that was the absolute reactions. I can't believe this. And then he's treating her so bad. I'm like, yes. And this is how obsession works. So uh, anyway, that is uh, number 16 for me. Vertigo, which is uh, number one currently on the BFI Top 100. So I'm with the BFI. I'm like, it's very good, but it's not my best one. So 
there you, you go. know, it's got to feel good to have uh, a prestigious film institute in your corner yeah. as far as, uh, you know, vis-a-vis vis- vis- the pick. We, I like it. Yeah, we agree. It's super good. So I, that's, that's where it lies. Uh, number 16 for me is Vertigo. What is 16 for you, Arthur? Uh, mine is the previously mentioned by both of you, I think. 2001, A Space yes, Odyssey. I mentioned it. Um, One of the, the Triple Crown movies. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's it's good. Triple Crown. That's, yeah, that's what happens. We call it when it if makes all, all lists. Uh, <laughs> it's a movie that uh, image the images of it have uh, kind of been there in my mind since I was a kid. I think I watched this uh, when I was very young with my mom. But uh, when we redid it for the show, it really hit. And you know, it's one of those movies that kind of gets talked up by the the pacing and the the imagery. But it never felt slow to me. If you can just chill with it and really let it sink in, it doesn't for me feel slow um i think it's just endlessly fascinating and just uh, an experience more than anything else i think um if you're going into this looking for some sort of a to b to c movie plotted science fiction thing you're going to be disappointed but if you are just you know willing to look upon it and meditate uh it's an experience, and I think it's one that is a, a fascinating ride to go on, and it's uh, just endlessly appealing, and Kubrick uh, makes good movies. A uh, lot of things to say about Kubrick, uh, good and bad, but the uh, best thing I can probably say is he makes good movies. Yeah, he does. Yeah, we'll talk about it again in just a little bit. So uh, there we are. It's 2001, A Space Odyssey. What a 16 for you, Dalton. Uh, my number 16 is another Sydney Lumet film, uh, another Sydney Lumet film that's largely just one location. It is 12 Angry Men. Yeah. It's a good movie. Yeah. It almost made mine. Yep. Yeah. I love this movie. Uh, you, you hear people say goofy things about this movie, like, actually, uh, Peter Fonda's character is a badger. And I say to those people, you shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> I can't wait to be a hung jury. I can't wait to do a jury nullification on somebody. Are you kidding me? It only takes one person. And that's why this movie rates so much higher than Failsafe. Again, another Sidney Lumet film that's a lot largely about dudes in a room trying to decide things. This, uh, instead of being a sort of macro level film about quote unquote important people, this is about regular folks. That is the one good thing about the american justice system the one good thing is the jury uh, of your peers and even that is not always uh, and that doesn't really work out all the time but in theory it's a really good idea and this movie makes a very strong case for why it's a good idea because it only takes one person to say justice is not being applied evenly we should stop and ask ourselves some questions about this life that is in our hands and uh it uh offers you uh I mean, there's a reason this is started as a teleplay, became a movie, became a Showtime remake. Uh, do you guys know about this? They did they no. did this in the Showtime did this in the '90s. It's got um, Edward James almost in it. It's got a stacked cast. Okay, in the '90s version. I've never seen it, but I've, mm. it's, it's on my list of things I want to get to. But there, there's a reason people have returned to Twelve Angry Men. Hey, Amy Schumer even did a sketch about it. It's, it's, it's such ripe material. Uh, I love this movie. Uh, we can't believe we've never talked about this on the show, right? I don't think so. It doesn't feel like we have now. No, I don't think we've. I'm had trying to remember too. if we did it for the short-lived Good Trash to Cinema. I don't think we. I don't did, think though. we did. Yeah. Anyway, I I just think this movie's great. Uh, it's sort of the height of staged films, uh, as far as like bringing a stage play to movies and using the language of cinema to try to let you know what's interesting about live theater. I, I think it's very hard to do with film. And I, I think some films manage to achieve it somehow. And this is one of those movies. It really does 
sell the the one room uh, vibe. It, it, it brings you into that room, makes you hot and claustrophobic, and makes you want to scream. It is a sweaty movie. It's a sweaty movie, and not not, not in a bad way. Not that, in a bad that, way. That we usually mean sw- sweaty plotting. No, it is hot. It's hot in that uh, that jury room. And uh, it uh, it takes you right there, and it never feels boring with its staging. You know, it's it's pretty uh, unadventurous in the editing. You know, it's it's not doing a lot with it by moving around this one room, but it still manages to do a lot with the space. And uh, the, there's moments like Peter Fonda pacing out the uh, the the dimensions of uh, the 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 crime scene mm. that was discussed. And so they do all kinds of clever things with this one room. And again, it's it's hard to bring the stage to the screen, and I think this film makes a really good case for it. Uh, it's number 16 for me, 12 Angry Men. All right, moving on to number 15. Number 15 is also a hot movie uh, in that it is uh, very hot. It's in Northern Africa. Mm. It's very hot in Northern Africa, particularly if you go to Casablanca for the waters. You'll be misinformed. Uh, it is 1942's Michael Curtiz, Casablanca, and nice. it is uh, the beginning of the endlessly quotable film. I don't know. I've never looked into this, but it is that play it again, Sam. Uh, we'll always have Paris. This looks like the beginning of a beautiful fi- friendship. Uh, over and over, round up the usual suspects. We could go on and on and on and on. Sidney Greenstreet, Peter Lorre, uh, Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid Bergman. Uh, man, it just works. Uh, Paul Henry's fine. Uh, but Conrad Veet as our big bad. Totally works. Claude Rains as um, the uh, duplicitous French uh, cons- uh, not um, constable. Yeah, I, I, it, it is it is a good time all the time. It's one of those uh, near noirs. It looks like the style of film noir, but it doesn't really lack. It doesn't really have the same kind of plotting that we tend tend to find in a film noir. Uh, although there is a bit of a MacGuffin to be arrived at, but it's, it seems to be more of a just a romance uh, as a story. But I think it's pretty interesting. Noirs have politics, uh, so I'm going to go ahead and give it the uh, the noir. Uh, badge, well, even though well, it doesn't. I like near, near noir. Near yeah. noir, yeah. yeah. So it's like it's, it's nearly a noir because it definitely is full of those smoke, smoky filled yeah, rooms. It's about and, a dame, yeah, and all that Chaskiro photog- photography. It just it just works on every level. So uh, so for me, number fifteen is uh, Casablanca from Michael Curtiz from nineteen forty two. What's fifteen for you, Arthur? Uh, fifteen for me is uh, I I would almost say it's. Maybe Spielberg's best movie, but there are two more from him on this list above it. Uh, but maybe it's Spielberg's best movie since the 90s. Uh, and that is Catch Me If You Can. Leo DiCaprio, Tom Hanks, uh, Boy on the Run, um, Dynamo of a movie that yeah. I, I fell in love with as a, as a teen watching. And uh, Frank Abagnale. And uh, it's one of those where the, uh, the story uh, is far wilder than... Most things people in Hollywood could write. This kid who goes on to forge check after check and become a doctor, a lawyer, a pilot, all without any real training or experience. Um, it's a metaphor movie. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, it's, uh, it's one of Spielberg's America movies yeah. in a really interesting way. Yeah, I, I love it a lot. Uh, and just the back and forth cat and mouse game of of uh, Haverty and Abagnale as Tom Hanks is chasing uh, Leo DiCaprio and... And the moments where they connect, uh, this boy without a family, um, who finds something it seems of a surrogate father in uh, Tom Hanks in a ways I don't think anybody intends or expects him to uh, is interesting, and it's just a good movie. It's a feel good movie. It's so well made. Spielberg just firing on all cylinders. I love it. Great 
uh, great score. Uh, that fun Pan Am kind of 60s, 70s poppy, jazzy score. Right, that swinging 60s yeah, kind of feel. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's so good. Uh, some fun. I remember that I had the DVD, and I remember it had really fun menus, too, to kind of reflect mm. that with the uh, the visual styling of those designs. But the the, the, the titles, kind of very Saul Bassy. Uh, not Saul Bass, but uh, right? Yeah, Saul, Saul Bass, yeah. Yeah, okay. um, yeah it's so good. Catch me if you can. I totally love it. Totally works, yeah. Love it, love it. Okay, what comes in at 15 for you, Dalton? Jessica, Only Child, Illinois, Chicago. It's Parasite. Another another con movie uh, for, me, for uh, me and Arthur, both having con movies at 15. I love it. Uh, I th- Another recency film, uh, but it's been a couple of years, I, so I, f- I feel pretty strong uh, on 2019 this 2019 feels about a decade ago. Let's right? be real. It really yeah. does. I, I think we've all, we've all grown a lot since 2019. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, Some I, of us have. I, yeah, well, that's true. Um, that's true. Anyway, <laughs> this little puzzle box of a movie sure does hit. Uh, boy, does it do so many things so well, and it do, does it manage to come out of the gate in 2019 already felt like an essential piece of 21st century filmmaking, and it's only become more relevant, only become more uh, important and imperative in, in the years since then. Um, it's it's story of intersecting families, intersecting lives, intersecting lies. Uh, it's, it's got everything, man. It's, uh, an upstairs downstairs story. It's got horror. It's got comedy. Uh, it, it's basically only lacking a musical number. And even, even then there's such a tight choreography in this movie that it sort of does have the rhythms of a musical at times, especially moments, uh, like the, the, the peach, uh, the first, ex- the, the, the peach exposure, I think of as, as a moment that's got all these great cuts and, uh, the editing on this movie is so incredible. The house itself is such a great location, and so much is done with that location throughout the film. Uh, if you haven't caught up with Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, what are you doing? Uh, it, it's it's a movie so good, it got a Best Picture. You know how rare it is for them to give Best Picture to a movie that wasn't made in America? They don't do that. They never did it. <laughs> That's exactly. They don't do that. <laughs> the Academy is very rarely right and uh, this is one of the cool times where uh they got it right they got it right Mm -hmm. this movie's impeccable it is a good movie yeah Uh, i think i think it's uh the heights of what films uh, media can be i uh, yeah it's it's top 20 material what do you want try to sell me drugs moving right (laughs) along uh number 14 number 14 for me is uh, a mainland chinese uh, martial arts extravaganza it is yang jamu's hero uh starring jet li as nameless it's kind of like rashomon which does not make my list although i really really do adore rashomon and if one is trying to find their way into samurai film from japan Rashomon might be a better entry-level drug than Seven Samurai, which made both me and Dalton's lists, I think, perhaps. Mm, yeah, I guess. It's, it's shorter, shorter by significant amounts. By a lot, yeah. And it's got this sort of interesting idea of different perspectives and other kinds of things that work as well. And this movie does a sort of multi-perspectival or multi-narrative, color-coded version of a, uh, again, a uh, Rashomon-style story, but uh, done with color and kung fu better just better it's better than Rashomon there I said it <laughs> uh, at one point I argued that this film is 
better than another film of his ilk that's going to be further up in the list. I've decided that film actually is better, so I'll say that later. <laughs> but I've changed my mind over time. But nonetheless, Hero is a movie I like a lot, and it comes in at number 14. I for knew it. he'd come around on Vantage Point. <laughs> that's it. It's, it's, it is not Vantage Point. Uh, <laughs> oh, man, that movie. Boy, that movie. All right. Uh, Arthur, what's your 14s? Deliver me. Uh, well, it's it's back to back Bergs. It's uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, I, I think uh, iconic imagery. I, I think uh, just incredible screenplay, uh, incredible casting. Yeah, it's yeah. really good. Well, I, I like it. It's, it's a movie that's just, and it's not one that I grew. I mean, I watched Temple of Doom a lot as a kid. That's the one we watched. Um, but as I got older and uh, got into watching the movies more, I, I've really come to appreciate it as an action movie, as an adventure film, uh, just Harrison Ford and, and that persona that he developed in, in this period of time and how that all comes together in this package. That is just so fun, so entertaining, so easy to watch. Uh, you sit down with it and it just flies by. Uh, it's a great time and I, I, I like it a lot. So there very, we go. Yeah. Very good. Very good. What comes in at 14 for you, Dalton? I love betting against James Cameron. I can't tell you how much I like it. I bet against Avatar, and I was wrong. I'm betting against Avatar 2. I'm probably going to be wrong. But there was one time in his career where you couldn't have, you couldn't have, bet, you couldn't have bet against Cameron. Because he came up with an idea so brilliant, so sure to win, that it became one of the few times that a sequel was better than the original. It's Aliens with a dollar sign. Oh, yeah, yeah. You write Alien on a board, and you put a dollar sign at the end of it. <laughs> and boy, does it work like gangbusters. I thought you were talking about the sequel to Titanic, but yeah, that no, works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, a T2 is a little bit lower on my list. Uh, as much as I love its, uh, its, its daddy themes, uh, I just like Aliens a little bit more. Uh, there's something about it. Uh, it. It takes the promise of Ridley Scott's Alien and blows it out in epic proportion and brings in all the cool shit that uh, Predator would do a year later and does it a year before. Uh, and this time it's got more interesting gender stuff going on. Uh, I love this movie. It's great. It just rules. It's Alien, but with more guns. What's not to like? And, and uh, this is a very American thing of me to say, but uh, it, <laughs> guess what? The guns don't help them. That's what makes, it, that's what makes the movie so cool. Right. It doesn't help them. Uh, the world is a nightmare. Uh, it's chaotic and it's trying to kill you all the time. And uh, aliens gets that everything goes wrong in the aliens universe. And uh, I love plots where everything goes wrong all the time. And this movie manages to just keep ratcheting the stakes up for over two hours. Make also James Cameron, maybe stop at uh, two hours and seven minutes or so. He cut time out of this movie and boy, did it work. Don't watch the director's cut of this movie. It bogs the thing down. It makes it way too long. Hmm. Watch the theatrical cut. Uh, sometimes shorter is better, and that's the case with Aliens. It, it's uh, It's got a lot of meat on the bone, considering how lean of a movie it is. Uh, there's really not a lot going on in it, and yet it is uh, rife with uh, critical analysis opportunities. I, I just think it's such a great film and uh, such a good time at the movies. And uh, it, it manages to do all the things that great horror does and all the things great science fiction does. Uh, and, uh, again, still have, you know, quite a lot going on, uh, more than this would, uh, the, the packaging would lead you to believe, especially considering all the toys they've made of this movie. Right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's, I want, we got a franchise pick close to the top of the list, but, uh, uh another franchise pick closer to the top of the list, I should say. But, uh, I felt strongly enough about aliens. I, I felt like it had to make the top 20. 
Very good, very good. All right, coming in for me at number 13, closely related to my film at number 15, mm. uh, almost the same cast. It is 1941's The Maltese Falcon. Interesting. Humphrey Bogart, Sidney Greenstreet, Peter Lorre. Yeah. Uh, but Mary Astor instead of an Inger Bergman. And I would say Inger Bergman is a better actress and does get better performance in Casablanca. But I think the visual style and I, I like the plot. I, I just like the labyrinthine world of film noir and the uh, the pure sort of American sneering post-war, or well, not post-war uh, because it's 1941, but 1940s post uh, Great Depression kind of moment there that is uh, represented in the film. It just it just works for me. I would I love both movies a lot, but I'd watch The Maltese Falcon quicker than I would Casablanca, and uh, it's it, it's somehow the grittier uh, cousin to Casablanca, and I kind of prefer grittier cousins. We this we'll we'll talk more when we get to my my fourteen. Yeah, we 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 got a brand. Or I think. My thirteen. Uh, this is this is interesting. We have a brand there. So, uh, what comes in at thirteen for you, Arthur? I, I wasn't expecting so many alien movies uh, to be on my uh, top 20. Uh, but alas, here we are. Uh, for me, at number 13 uh, is a movie that I love like no other. Uh, it is um, the movie that cemented uh, Will Smith as a blockbuster movie star. It is 1997's Men in Black. What a pick. That's that's a good pick. That's an interesting. Hey, good pick, Arthur. That's a good. Uh, yeah. yeah, I love no, it. The movie is so much fun, and it is. I Stupid think you're fun. so right. Like it's easy to point to Independence Day as the one that launches him, but I, I think you're right. Like this is like I mean, peak this is, will. This feels like the uh, the final nail because he's yeah. he's done Bad Boys. He's done Independence Day. Boom! Here's Men in Black, and he's off. He's got a music video. To he's go not with the stopping. Movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, it's it's great, and uh, you know I think Barry Sonnenfeld's. Uh, Approach to Tommy Lee Jones to be like, no, you just be you and react to Will, and you're going to be funny, uh, is infinitely better direction than uh, than what we see in Batman Forever, uh, when Tommy Lee Jones just tries to be funny, uh, which is an unhinged <laughs> performance that I do love, uh, but uh, his performance in Men in Black as uh, this old, past his prime agent trying to keep up with the youth. Uh, it's a movie I quote almost all the time because a person is smart. But people are dumb, panicky animals. Uh, I think about that a lot, I, uh, almost every day. Uh, that that is in my Some heart. True wisdom from Tommy Lee <laughs> Jones yeah. in that movie. Um, but yeah, I, I watch this movie all the time as a kid, and I think it's just a great comedy. I, I think it's a, a great buddy cop movie, a buddy movie. Uh, I think that it's a good action movie. Uh, it's a great performance from Vincent D'Onofrio as the bug because it. It, it, I'm pretty pretty sure there is a bug in that body in that Edgar suit. <laughs> Edgar, your skin is hanging off your. There, I, there should be more Vincent D'Onofrio in all of our picks. Honestly, he's low key <laughs> the best actor of his generation. He's somehow. so good. Yeah, he's great. Just... But uh, yeah, him just doing anything in that movie it is fantastic. It's it's filled with fun performances, uh, fun world building, uh, and we're just so well introduced to that world as they walk into the men in black headquarters and we see this port of uh arrival mm -hmm. for these extraterrestrials it's it's incredible it, it holds up fun gadgets fun aliens fun creature designs uh great music video great theme song it's i men danced when i cleaned the theater every time oh i bet when, yeah that, that was that was one of those movies that i yeah. loved it because it had good credits and people yeah. just bugged out and you'd go and turn so the lights out and work and yeah and i had the vhs that had the music video at the end yeah, mm -hmm. too. Yep. Yeah. Loved it. I danced to that as a child when I was in dance. 
Yeah. Uh, we've talked about this before. Nope. But, uh, have we, we never now. talked about this? <laughs> We're talking about it right <laughs> now. We've never talked about this. <laughs> no, right now. I used to dance from like four to, from like 10 to 12. Of course oh, you did. Yeah, yes, yeah. of course. In true of, Patrick the, Swayze yeah, fashion. Yeah, of course I did. <laughs> yeah, okay, this totally checks out. Nominative determinism. We danced to uh, the Men in Black theme song. I love it. One of our, so one of our, our, boy, our boys group dances. Adorable. And I danced at the same studio as my sister. So you got jiggy with it? I did. I did indeed. Okay, well, what's coming in at 13 for you? So, like, your your Maltese Falcon Casablanca twofer is, is really fun, because to go with Aliens, I've got The Thing, which is the mm. grittier Aliens. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I love The Thing. Yes. A- aliens entered my life when I was very young and has just sort of found its way in is a, a place in my heart. I, I'm, I'm, I am for Aliens. That's the way what they do. Some people, that is what they do. <laughs> but uh, I, I like the Alien franchise uh, the way some people like Disney. Uh, thanks in large part to my cousin. My cousin was really into Aliens, and I, I just thought that, that all the toys looked like the coolest thing ever. Um, so I love the look of that movie. And then I saw the thing when I was older, and I thought, oh my god, you can make monsters look even grosser? You can make them grosser than they made them in Alien? Boy, boy, howdy, can you? Uh, and, and you can make a movie more about paranoia, more about distrust, more about the difficulties of running a society, uh, the difficulties of interacting. Uh, again, people, per, a person is smart. People are dumb, panicky animals. And that is very much what kind of movie the thing is. It's about smart persons turning into dumb, panicky animals and not being able to work together. Uh, in fact, they can't work together so hard that at the end of it, uh, the last two people remaining are waiting to see if one of them is going to uh, turn on them. Uh, it's one of the all-time great bleak endings. Uh, the definitive John Carpenter film, I, I think, is fair to say for me. Uh, mm. I, you know, I know some people put Halloween uh, as their pick. Uh, I think maybe some other folks would. Well, what's some other definitive Carpenters? I feel like Halloween's one. Obviously, they live. They live they is live, another yeah. one which I had further down on my list. I mean, those those are kind of the top. Yeah. That's the major arcana, I think. Yeah. 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 I mean, you, you you get the people who are the big. You know, uh, they'd probably go with to uh, the Sam Neill. Oh, Mountains of Madness. Yeah, Mountains or of Madness. the uh, Prince of Darkness. Prince of Darkness. Yeah, I like those two a lot. But yeah. then you got you know Christine's really. So, you know, I mean, he's a solid. He's a solid filmmaker. Yeah, at the end of the day. yeah. I, I, he's an essential American filmmaker for me. But yeah, yeah. You know, the thing just kind of goes. You know, in Halloween, I think just mm-hmm. yeah. stand above it's, because of their influence and impact. Yeah. Well, in another movie where the, you know, the filmmaker didn't, I, I just think didn't know what he had on his hands. You know, he wanted to remake a movie that he liked as a kid uh, yeah. and uh, really went hard, really went hard. Uh, and boy, did his special effects team go hard, too. So uh, what people did, the, the man hours, uh, the, the labor hours, I should say, that, that went into making the thing are just, it's grueling. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it is hard to believe that people did this to themselves to make them just to make a movie. But uh, you see that love and attention to detail on the screen because those puppets look real and they look really disgusting. And it just, uh, you know, 30, 40 years later, still 40, almost 50 years later. No, not that close to 50, but still it's, so, it's closer to 50 than it is 30. <sighs> it yeah. is. Uh, was it 70? No, 82. Oh, okay. Is it 82? Uh, I, I thought, was thinking 70s. I thought it was 80 flat. Yeah, it's, it's got it's grimy like a 70s movie, yeah. Though, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I see why you would say that. Uh, and I see why you'd say 80s flat. Because it's part of yeah. his style, too. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I think it, it absolutely hits. And it, again, it's it does so much thematically with so little narratively. It's just really impressive to me. 
Very cool, very cool. All right, well, coming in at number 12, we go to the uh, country of Italy and uh, Roberto Rossellini's Rome Open City. It is the example par excellence of a style of filmmaking called Italian neorealism in which non-professional actors are used, no sets are being used, naturalistic lighting is used, and uh, it is a script about resistance to fascism in Italy during World War II. And, it sounds uh, like a tight movie. It is incredible. There is a great priest character there. Wins a Palm d'Or that year. It's it's just it's absolutely an astounding film, and uh, it is incredibly moving, and it just works on every level. So if you're gonna get some Italian realism, a lot of people like Bicycle Thieves, which I like as well. Um, but for my money, Rome Open City is the one to go with. And so I love that movie a lot, and recommend it very very highly. What comes in at twelve for you, Arthur? Uh, for me, it is. Uh a movie just discussed moments ago uh, by Dalton, and it is Bong Joon-ho's Parasite. Yeah, baby. Um, it's a good movie. It's, it's good. It's it's a movie. You know, I've mentioned I don't really go to the movies much. It's a movie I saw in theaters like three times in the first two weeks or something. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it, it just, it does so much, and it navigates genre, and it's so kind of counterintuitive to American filmmaking, where it, it just, it throws all the genres together to tell something of a real-life story in a way that is reflexive. It and... sees the genre filmmaking in everyday life. Yes, that's yeah. that's the way to put it. Yeah, I think that's what's so... And it's, and it's not just Bong. I mean, that's kind of a, I think, a South Korean style of filmmaking. We've, we, you know, we got to do that old marathon. And I've watched a few other, you know... I think the big thing for Parasite for me was just kind of opening up that region of the world in cinema to me to go and, you know, we did the Song Kang-ho marathon to kind of move and navigate through a few decades there in their kind of renaissance in film. Um, Parasite kind of opened that and, and lent itself, and I think that's part of Bong's messaging when he, you know, spoke at the Oscars and his acceptance, you know, to be transported into these new worlds, you know, sands that barrier of the closed caption or the subtitle. Mm-hmm. And uh, Parasite's just great. And you well, his see, attention to detail with the translation speaks to that. You know yeah. what I mean? He's he's so thoughtful in trying to get bridge that gap. Yeah. And uh, it's it's just a fantastic film. I mean, it, it's a guy, it's a, it's a filmmaker just firing on all cylinders at every level. And you've mentioned the production design. You mentioned every editing, score, everything about this movie just is off the charts. And yeah. it, it has such an impact. Um, and it's so good. And I, I'll have it near and dear to my heart. I love it quite a bit. Parasite. Very good, very good. What comes in at 12 for you, Dalton? Uh, this is a film that has been with me for a very long time. Uh, it's one of the earliest films I remember loving, and uh, I think it definitely informed my sense of humor uh, more than maybe any other motion picture. Would you say that it's totally excellent? I, I would say it's totally excellent, Arthur. Uh, I would say it is earnest. I would say it is genuine, heartfelt, and a little maximalist at times, honestly. It's Penelope Spheris' as Wayne's World. Uh, I love this movie so much. Right I, I I love this movie. It does so much with it's it's a, just a you know it's just an SNL picture, and yet it's told with such love and affection and such heart. Like every character in this movie is like kind of really just interesting. Even Rob Lowe, who is an, <laughs> is a scumbag, is like an interesting kind of nuanced mm-hmm. scumbag who has like pretty good taste. Like knows a good property when he sees it, uh, but again, this this story of of people making something for their friends uh, and hitting it big and trying to navigate that. I've just uh, I love love its 
its tale of authenticity and uh selling out and uh what that world navigating that world looks like i've just it does so much there and i again spheres knew the world uh you know it did three documentaries about american rock and roll music uh, or offshoots thereof uh definitely position her as sort of the authority on uh <laughs> american rock music in the 80s and 90s and uh parlayed that into a weird little comedy that has Things like uh, Mike Myers opening a door where a bunch of commandos are training. Uh, Dana Carvey making a donut man and killing him. Uh, what's his doodle from uh, Married with Children? I can't think of his name. Uh, Ed O'Neill. Ed O'Neill. Ed O'Neill monologuing to camera about doing a murder in, in the snow. <laughs> what a weird movie. It is a strange one. I love it. It's so much Robert fun. Robert Patrick shows up as the T-1000. I love it. Great. Sign me up. <laughs> Two, please. Uh, for they, me and my did, good friend. They did make another one. Yeah, well, and, and the less said about that one, the better, probably. Uh, but I the first one. to death with their own shoes. No, yeah, not, no. no, it doesn't no, work. I, you know, I, I've seen Wayne's World 2, and it never it never hit. And um, not even a little bit for me. Yeah. Uh, I just, uh, one once was enough. Uh, yeah, I love this film, and it is so near and dear to my heart. I'm glad we got to talk about it on the show a couple of years ago with my sister, no less, because again, it's a, it's a movie that the two of us have always shared a, an affection for. Just as one we grew up watching and have continued to watch. Very I cool, very cool. All right, moving on to number eleven. Number eleven uh, comes from France uh, from a Spanish director. It's a 1977 film by Louis Bunuel, that obscure object of desire. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel. I think you even seen this movie. No, I know. Nope. That's. A, I'm not judging. I'm just asking if you have. Okay, here. Let me let me give you the cell. Give me okay. the cell. It is about a middle aged man who becomes obsessed with a younger woman. Okay. That that, that 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 it's a movie, classic so. movie stuff. Um, she is from Spain. Her name is Conchita. Mm-hmm. Um, there are two different actresses who play Conchita, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's one actress, and sometimes it's the other actress. It's never explained when or which one he's going to see. And each actress and each character version of Conchita has very very different personalities based on which actress is playing her, because he has no idea who he's after. Because lust itself is quixotic. Hmm. That's the movie. Interesting. This is a, you know, it's got shades of the prestige, weirdly. Yeah, a little bit. This is what I started thinking about as you were describing that. Uh, I I, okay. Yeah, I'm yeah. aboard. Okay, that's my that's my pitch. And it's Boonwell. I so. mean, yeah, I like uh, I like the, the one that I've got. I like the one movie of his so much it ended up making my top 100. Yeah, it got nominated for best foreign language film for the Academy Awards. It was best direct, uh, best not direction, best screenplay. Really? Also, for nice. the Academy Awards. So uh, there's a lot of love uh, there for that as well. was not going to get the parasite level, but uh, it was one of the early uh, forays into that opportunity. So there's number 11 for me. What's 11 for you, Arthur? Uh, for me, it is going to be Alien. Um, Hell yeah. yeah. It's been talked about already. Um, I, I think depending on where you are in your genre alignment chart is where you land on the alien aliens. I think alignment you're so chart. right. Yeah, it's, uh, it's just because I'm an action movie guy. Yeah, and I'm a horror yeah, guy. And I, I like think m- in my genre alignment chart, yeah. Alien would definitely come ahead and for I sure am, of Aliens for me as well. Yeah. I'm very into mood and aesthetic and uh, the production design on this film. Ge- yeah. Geiger's designs, the way they come to life uh, on these sets is incredible. They're dark and spooky and kooky, uh, and it's in space. Um and in space no one can hear you scream. That's right, and that is a powerful tagline for a, uh, a great creature design that is just walking around wreaking havoc. Uh, and we just want Ellen and Jonesley uh, to get out of that, get out of that ship. The, the cassette futurism of it all is just yeah. it just uh, the aesthetic just works. 
Yeah. It looks good. Sounds good. It's fun. Uh, it's creepy and it's horrific. And uh, I've got a milk, milk blood for androids. Mm. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm so glad you mentioned Jonesy. I didn't even think to mention Jonesy when I had Alien on my list. Yeah. yeah. What an all-time great movie cat. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean... Chest burst? I mean, come on. Oh, mm-hmm. What a great scene. It's so good. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's iconic for Poor many John reasons. Hurt. He hurt that day. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> moving on. It's Alien at number 11. What's number 11 for you, Dalton? My number 11 is a film that uh, I was introduced to because of this show, but a movie I'd, I'd heard about for years, and I'm glad I finally had an excuse to catch up with. It is a movie about life, God, the universe, and uh, really all sorts of things. Uh, I had a film that uh, was very inspired by it a little bit further down on my list. Without many further ado, it is Andrei Tarkovsky's Stalker. Uh, what a good, what a good movie. We'll be hearing more from it. And another movie that makes the case for long movies. Uh, you know, I've just got a couple of long ones here in the top 20, but uh, Stalker manages to make the case for being three hours long. Uh, it, it, I, don't, I don't know how, listener. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you how it does it. Magic. As far as I can tell, Tarkovsky's just a wizard uh, because he did. He couldn't do it with Solaris for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just a little less interested in Solaris. But man, did I get sucked into this movie? Um, it, it, you know, even losing me in the, the home stretch, it brought me right back in with its wild ending, wild ending. Um, so it, it's a movie that every time it tries to lose me, it brings me back. Uh, I can't wait to watch it again. I've only seen it the one time because it's. It's a lot of movie to digest. Uh, it's about a lot. Uh, it's got more than a few things on its mind. And uh, I guess we'll talk about it a little bit more here in just a second. Very good. Very good. Well, moving on to another film that is uh, goes back and forth between full color and sepia tone. We get into our top 10. And my number 10 is The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. Good 1939. Pig. Victor Fleming. Judy Garland. Um, others. And it's a great movie. Uh, it's Wizard of Oz. I, it is it is a movie that is part of my DNA. It is one of the first films that I remember watching over and over again from recorded off a television broadcast of the uh, film. And I just I watched the movie over and over and over again. And I love it. Uh, Dorothy finds four friends and cooperates together with those four friends to accomplish her goals and finds out the magic was inside them all along. It is the great cure to the problems of your Harry's Potter and your Luke's Skywalker and how we don't don't need any help just trust yourself and because you're special all by yourself no we need a team teams are better wizard of oz is better it's a great film um the songs are good too so what more can i say the song's hit hmm? i said the song's hit absolutely um recently uh four or five years ago uh a song from the wizard of oz was in the top 10 most requested songs um at the bbc really yeah the day margaret thatcher died uh ding dong the witch is dead really true story Man, the Brits. The Brits are the they're, Brits. They're 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 funny. Yeah, they got jokes. They got jokes. They do have jokes. Uh, so uh, Thatcher humor there for you all. That's number ten for me. It was ten for you, Arthur? That's heavy, Doc. Uh, it's Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bobby Z's making heavy, the top heavy. ten. Why do you keep saying uh, that? <laughs> Ronald Reagan, the actor, uh, which is a joke that has unfortunately uh, <laughs> oh, become <man>. something else. <laughs> yeah. That came back and bit us, didn't it? Yeah. 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 They sure did bite us in the ass back to the future part two. Oh, man. What a world. Uh, man, Bobby Z, I-, I-, I love Zemeckis so much, and I think the-, the-, the pinnacle that is back to the future and this story of boy getting to spend time with his dad as a kid like that idea of 
seeing that that parental figure as just a you, an awkward, gawky, weirdo teen, um, is a really cool idea. Then it works so well here. Um, fun costumes, fun music, great casting. Uh, just Christopher Lloyd just knocking it out of the park. Michael J. Fox, everybody here, uh, just having a good time, putting together something feels like lightning in the bottle, and they uh, they ran with it. Um, in some fun ways. Uh, I, I love, I love it though. I, I think as far as, you know, time travel movies, uh, doesn't make sense. Probably not. I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I'm not primer. You're not a I'm physicist. Not, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not going to be Shank Ruth in this thing. I don't care. Uh, it's a good time. <laughs> it's a good story. Uh, it's entertaining. Uh, it's, it's a good two hours at the movies and, uh, it means a lot to me. It's Back to the Future. It's man, it's a great movie. I love Back to the Future. Very cool. What comes in at number ten for you, Dalton? Uh, at number ten, we have another time the Academy got it right, although they almost got it very wrong. It's Moonlight by Barry Jenkins. Ah, uh, good movie. Yeah, I love this movie. I, I this is uh, solves the problem of do I put one of the before trilogy movies on my list? Mm. Why put one of those movies on my list when there's a movie that does what those movies do in one movie? Mm-hmm. It's great. I love Moonlight. It tells the story of one man uh, over the course of his his childhood, his adolescence, and his his uh, adulthood, and uh, does so through a series of conversations with people who's who were formative to him. You know, uh, people who helped raise him, uh, early loves, uh, reconnecting with old old friends uh, and old loves. It's I don't know, man. It's a powerful film that is sort of hard to encapsulate because it it is such a a hangout movie in in its way. Uh, It looks so beautiful and does so much with uh, very everyday concerns, very everyday uh, locations and, uh, you know, images. It's it's beautiful because of of how lived in and mundane it is. Uh, it's, It's got so much going on. Uh, that uh, you don't you don't need me to tell you. Uh, there, there's a reason this movie was so heralded when it came out, and uh, it's a movie they think about often and with with great affection. And uh, I'll, I'll get around to rewatching it at some point. But uh, honestly, it made me cry so much the first time. I, I haven't been able to steal myself for the second watch. Uh, it's it's a really have I only seen it once? I think I may have only seen it once myself. Yeah, yeah I it, it's a movie that as I was like going over my, my my lists of like more recent films because you know again i have i think of the three of us i have the most films from the 2010s in my list by a pretty wide margin um but uh, i just i knew I, I saw this and i started thinking about my top 10 and i was like this has got to be there it's just it's so powerful and uh the performance i didn't even talk about the performances oh my god amy harris Maharshal ali trevante rose like boom 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 oh and uh, janelle monet yeah i mean just everybody is throwing heat uh just absolutely giving career best performances uh it's truly remarkable work from everybody involved uh it's moonlight very cool very cool moving on to number nine one of two experimental non-narrative films that have made my top 10 uh this first one is from stan brackage it is the dante quartet which i believe did one of you guys go to oklahoma state with me for a conference at one point and we watched some short films did you not see this with me, either one of you. Which two. one is it? I've seen some Brackage shorts, but I don't remember where. Dante's, uh, the Dante Quartet from Stan Brackage. No, I don't think I saw it. Because I feel like we watched some in Broadnax's class. We might have. Oh, we might have watched in Broadnax as well. Well, this is the film. I have seen Brackage stuff, though. Okay. Th- well, th- in this film, so he, he read every English translation he could find of Dante's um, Divine Comedy and defi- try to find a way to render expressionistically 
what's going on there without telling it in terms of narrative. And so what he chose to do was to paint directly on 35 millimeter and 70 millimeter IMAX film paint every single frame. Uh, at some points, the layers of paint Maybe were we up to a half this. inch. I, 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 I think it was in the... the yeah, was I think it was the, the, was the same day we saw Garlic, Garlic is, is Good, good as Ten Mothers. Mothers. Yeah, okay, I have yeah, seen this. Yeah. yeah, I have seen this. So, anyway, um, which did not make my list, although I do love... I love Garlic, Garlic is, is, is Good as Ten Mothers. Mothers. That shit rules. <laughs> that movie is so good. Um, but no, uh, this movie is incredible. It's eight minutes of silent film running yeah. various uh, frames, working their way, working one's way through uh, the various levels of, uh, again, Dante's Afterlife from Hell to various levels of purgation, finally to life is itself a song, rather than calling it, you know, presuming upon the afterlife, which I think is interesting as far as titling goes. But it's, it's an incredible film and just shows the media specificity of filmmaking itself and how you can work directly with it as medium, uh, like canvas or uh, acrylic or clay. And uh, it just it's absolutely just an astonishing little film, and it's available on YouTube. I think there's like six-minute versions, but it's actually eight minutes long in the original uh, release version of it. But if you're thinking about experimental cinema and American experimental cinema, sp- cinema specifically, uh, you could do worse than Stan Brakhage's The Dante Quartet, coming in at nine for me. Number nine for you, Arthur. What is it? Um, mine is also about Ascent to Hell, and it's The Shining. Um, <laughs> nice. So it's, good. Uh, yeah. I mean, you two, I think, have both talked about it already. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, I don't know that I could add too much to it. I, I think that it's just a uh, fantastic work of, of uh, spiraling down into madness and the anxieties that come on with that, uh, the, you know, uh, the nature of relationships and abuse and addiction and how that all plays out. Um, just great imagery. I, I mean, iconic uh, again for a reason. Um, Jack Nicholson uh, turned up to twelve as as you know Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. Um, just really going to work. I, I think it is just filled with haunting imagery that doesn't make any sense and never gets answered. Or you know, you know, why is that guy in a bear suit? What's he doing to that other guy? <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We'll never know. <laughs> All I know is that we've always been there. And uh, I think it just it stood the test of time. And I, I admire it so much. Yeah, it's, an incred- it's just absolutely an astonishing film. Yeah, I love it. All right, what's coming in at nine for you, Dalton? It's it's a, one of those triple crown movies we've already talked about. It's an Arthur's Top 20. It's another Stanley Kubrick. It's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yep. His, his uh, Ascent into Heaven movie, as opposed to A Descent into Hell. Uh, I, I like his Ascent film better than We got than very, his... very spiritual at number yeah. nine, didn't we? Yeah. Well, I, I like this one more than The Shining, for whatever reason. I, I, I love how weird and vibey it is. Man, it's, it's this sort of non-three, four, five, five-act structure? I'm trying to think. You got, you got the Dawn of Man. You've got him getting to the moon. You've got the moon base, the, the moon sequence. You've got the journey. Yeah, five, five, five acts. This sort of weird five-act journey into... The, the mind space and everything in between uh, the, the from the dawn of man to the absolute furthest reaches of space, a movie that is far too optimistic. Uh, <laughs> probably uh, it was a very optimistic sixties film. And I admire it about the, I admire that about it. Um, if it were a little less uh, optimistic, it might be higher up on my list. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't know that I have as, hopeful and outlook uh, for humanity as this movie does which is a movie that's not incredibly hopeful in case you haven't seen it dear listener i think that there's some hope to it there's some know. hope to it but it's yeah. got a lot of 
cynicism as well. That's true. I mean, the HAL 9000 That's true. thing is a thing. I don't know, but there, there's but I, also... No, I, I'm, the, not, I'm not saying yeah. you're wrong. I'm just saying he's saying he's too hopeful, and I agree, but it's not as though it's like this super, super happy, happy, joy, joy ending either. That's fair. It is pretty bleak in its way. But yeah, I, I don't know. It, it is about transcending that to me, right? Mm-hmm. I think. And that's uh, part of what is so fun about this movie is this kind of about whatever you want it to be about. Uh, as as much Kubrick is, it, it is sort of really open to interpretation. Some of his stuff, uh, as I understand it, a little too open to interpretation. I've got some blind spots on his filmography that I, I've opted to avoid because they're hard watches. Uh, but this one is not a hard watch. Uh, if you can get in, into its rhythms, as Arthur said, it's it's sort of a weird wavelength. Uh, it's a little long, but uh, if you can if you can hang with it, it it's definitely got something to offer. Because I'm, I'm with you. Like once you get locked in, if you can buy in of that first Dawn of Man sequence, you're hooked. You're it's going to drag you all the way through. Um, but uh, I agree. The first time I tried to watch it, it was probably a, a bit too young like 12 probably maybe a little older somewhere in that neck of the woods though and i just couldn't right over my head yeah uh but uh, i've proceeded to uh i watched it for the first time five years ago or so and i've watched it like five times since i've seen it a lot it got i was fortunate enough to see it in imax for its 50th anniversary that definitely is the most ideal way to see the movie but uh you know if you've got to watch it at home it's worth it uh check it out very cool, very cool. Coming in to number eight uh, for me, it's uh, David Lynch's Mulholland Drive. Uh, I was we, waiting for it. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I, I wondered guys, how high it would be. You guys know I like this movie a lot, yeah. and it is this Poison Valentine to Hollywood. That is another sort of, movie about lots of movies about doubles on your list. The, 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 yes, doubles are a big deal uh, for me. I think I, I am I'm interested in doubles and doubling, and uh, and I like how this movie is uh, in many ways uh, perhaps. A meditation on afterlife and of dreams and of uh, some of those kinds of concepts as well. And simply just wrestling with the idea of, is my identity who I am or is it who I play? Mm. And uh, the the performative nature of identity is is a big part of what's going on with this film as well. Uh, Naomi Watts uh, puts together an incredible performance. It is David Lynch's most watchable film, I think, in many ways. And I think it's a good pair with uh, that obscure object of desire and probably the slightly more entertaining film to watch, although maybe not quite as thoughtful as Obscure Desire. I'm not quite sure. I have to rewatch Obscure Desire. But it's a movie I really, really adore, and it's a very, very Hollywood version of some of the same kinds of themes that I've been talking about for a little while now in the last 10 or so movies. So Mulholland Drive comes in for me at number eight. What's number eight for you, Arthur? Um, my number eight has been uh, attempted to be remade roughly five times since, uh, and in those five efforts, they've never been able to capture what Spielberg did in that first effort, and that was the sheer awe of walking with dinosaurs as we walked into Jurassic Park. It's a good movie. Uh, I'm surprised. I, you know, I, I guess I didn't realize how much you like Spielberg. I knew you liked Spielberg, but I did not. I was. I, think it's, I love surprised. Spielberg's movies more than. Yeah, because you I don't think that's where it's. You're not one of those devotees of his. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, for me, Jurassic Park is. I mean, I saw it as a child in theaters, and it it is that idea of entering this world where dinosaurs coexist with man. Absolutely. And the way it is so evocatively brought to life with those puppets and those animatronics uh, in ways that they have not been able to replicate in the 30 years since. I remember who I was with. 
I remember where I sat in the theater. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I remember where I went afterward. I mean, it's just yeah, that this it, it is a it is a formational film. Yeah, for I, sure. I just watched it a few weeks ago, and as as Grant and Ellie and the team are, are standing there looking at the brachios, and that William score hits, it is it is a magical mm-hmm. movie moment. Yeah, it, it's one of the best things to ever see. Uh, and then from there, it becomes an adventure film, an action film, a slasher film. Uh, it is a discussion of the dangers of franchising um, and what that can uh, lead to and the empty soullessness of that. Uh, it gave us Jeff Goldblum uh, in a black shirt laying like a statue on a table. Mm. Um, wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just filled with iconic moments, iconic lines, iconic characters. Um, it's it's a formational for me, yes. it's To me, it is one of the best movies ever made, the best American movies ever made. It's Jurassic Park. You gotta hold on to your butt when you watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. What comes in at eight for you, Dalton? My number eight is definitely on your list, and I can't remember if it made Arthur's list. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's influence. It's hu- a huge influence of it. Uh, the Passion of Joan of Arc made all of our lists, but I can't remember if this is a Triple Crown movie or not. It's Jonathan Demme's The Silence of the Lambs. It is. There's a triple crown. I mean, it's made my list already, and I yeah. think Arthur has said that it's going to show up, but I haven't heard it yet. Yeah, okay. Time he's, will tell. Yeah, he's... Okay. Okay. Right. Well, since we have more to say about it, I'll keep it quick. Uh, the close-ups in this film just take you there, and I, that's what I love so much about, you know, having seen The Passion of Joan of Arc. Uh, you know, th- this is a movie that I've seen so many times, and... Seeing the Passion of Joan of Arc only makes me like this movie more for whatever reason. Uh, I, for seeing how those close ups were first used in film, uh, you know, way back in the 1920s, and to see how Demi brings that same style of close up into the 1990s, brings it into the realm of crime storytelling, and brings it into this world where uh, a woman has to navigate a, a world that despises her existence within it. Uh, it has to navigate an institution that kind of abhors her, even even though she's got a good boss, a decent boss, who who kind of uh, is trying his best to uh, be an ally to her. Uh, she, she's still forced to navigate this world. And, and at the same time, it tells the story of somebody who uh, is also trying to navigate this world that feels outcast by it. And uh, again, it's a film that has empathy for everybody involved. Even though the worst characters in this movie uh, are given empathy in, in ways that are really interesting. Even Anthony Hopkins, uh, mm-hmm. Hannibal Lecter, who is uh, undoubtedly despicable, uh, is is given humanity. And I mean, it was it worked so well they couldn't stop making movies about it. Uh, it wasn't Manhunter. No offense, Michael Mann, that uh, made people want to go to the the Thomas Harris universe. It was this one mm-hmm. uh, for whatever reason. You know what? It's probably that guy going, "There's Jim Pember now. Talk to him, damn it." <laughs> That's it. What an all time great movie moment. <laughs> Greatest moment in all of cinema, right there. I think that you, I'm you've, not kidding. You've crushed it. It's right. It's right. It's right above. Uh, Alan Grant and Ellie Sadler looking at the Brachiosaurus as the John Williams score hits. Yeah, yeah. It's right. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. We're all in agreement then. Uh, yeah, I think uh, just to build it out what, a little bit, that that whole sequence, yes, the, the Jim Primary thing is hilarious. That whole sequence in the courthouse is just... <laughs> do what? Uh, the, how do you play when the bug moves the chip? There's a couple like really kind of wooden. There's some really good silly, lines in that whole sequence. Lines, yeah, in that movie. Yeah. yeah, it goes that that whole sequence goes really hard, and it's not the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Wild stuff. Yeah, I, th- this movie is about empathy, and yet is still this wild thriller that takes you 
all through through all stages of of human depravity and uh it's got its problems which we've talked about uh but uh i uh i really do adore this movie it's good Mm -hmm. uh with for all of its problems and boy does it have problems it's there's it's kind of remarkable Mm -hmm. there's something very special about it very good very good moving on to number seven uh what about a film from 1952 that's about the 1920s what about a film from 1952 uh, about the 1920s starring Gene Kelly? What about Singing in the Rain? Uh, what a glorious feeling. I am happy again. Uh, it's, a, it's I don't know what else you want to say. It is a meta film. It is a technicolor extravaganza. Uh, Dalton's already talked about Make Him Laugh and just that great bit there with Cosmo uh, played by uh, Donald O'Connor. It's just, it's just good times. Yeah. Uh, it's a great movie. Uh, it's a great watch. It's uh, interesting textually. It's interesting in terms of production. It is, uh, and it's just an entertaining wild ride. There's a reason it's worth standing in for musicals on my list. Yeah, yeah it's it's great. It's yeah, it, it is the musical par excellence. Again, I keep thinking about this movie I just saw, Umbrellas of Cherbourg, which is upsetting the crown for me a little bit right now. Mm-hmm. But I got to think about that a little bit longer. Before, so I already, this is the problem with lists. I'm already revising my list, even though I haven't even got through the podcast through which I've gone through my list in the first place. Okay. This is life. But anyway, uh, for me right now, number seven is Singing in the Rain from 1952. What's number seven for you, Arthur? Uh, well, you've already talked about this movie, I think, last week. Um, and that is Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window. Man, it's good. Um, I, I, you know, and had I watched Vertigo recently, it could have, you know, it was on my top 30. Uh, had I watched it, it could have easily slipped in here too. Cause every time I rewatch one of these Hitch movies, it, it just like, oh yeah, it is, it is great. Um, and then that's just the effect he has on me. Um, but for me, rear window. And I think I, I got to this one a little before Vertigo is when I was younger with my mm. mom. And so, um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's Jimmy Stewart. It may be the easier watch the most, of the two yeah, movies. Too. Easier, a yeah. more, more entertaining watch. Yeah, too. I think so. I think that's um, a factor. It's the most implausible movie because it posits that Jimmy Stewart wouldn't sleep with Grace Kelly. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, talk about stretching the imagination, right? Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's so good. And, you know, you talked about showing Vertigo in class. We also watched this with the group of students uh, last fall and they they bit. And that's the great thing about it. It You know, it's some 60 years old now, 70 years old now. And uh and it still gets an audience of, of Gen Zers uh, to bite. And I think that's cool. And, and I love that timelessness of it. Uh, the banter, the back and forth, the, the sets, each each character that becomes fully realized as Jimmy's watching the, the courtyard come to life uh, from his wheelchair. Uh, and then the, uh, the the meta level of the hitch of it, the, the directing, the blonde, as he's watching all these movies play out and he's, navigating the stories being told and there's that layer to it which i think is also very fascinating uh it's it's so good it's for a window and he's got an itch you just can't quite seem to scratch isn't that how it goes sometimes that's just how it goes all right what comes in at seven for you dalton uh my number seven is uh the second to last franchise entry on my list there is one more believe it or not i knew you were gonna get age of ultron in there uh this movie is (laughs) A movie that manages to illustrate that action movies are musicals, which I think is a pretty hard thing to do. Uh, but I think at their core, most action movies are musicals, uh, and, and this film gets that. It's George Miller's Mad Max Fury Road, mm. uh, a film that needs basically only music to convey what it's doing, uh, a film that uses the visual language of storytelling to 
tell its story uh, really remarkably well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think of the shot of uh, Max's uh, blood donor back tattoo is, is one of the things I think about as far as like th- this movie's ability to convey ideas with images and in just like seconds. And it's there's always something center frame happening and it's always doing something to advance the story forward. Uh, it also is about the human condition and uh, is a plea for a better world uh, in a way that really uh, makes my heart feel good. Uh, I, it's it's You got to drive through a dystopian hellscape to get to uh, a better place sometimes. And I, I think this movie does a really incredible job of, uh, of being about a better tomorrow while also being very realistic about how we got to where we are. Uh, and it looks cool as hell. Mm-hmm. There's a guy that plays guitar that shoots fire out of it. Yeah. What do you, what do you want? Yeah. I don't... You know, uh, <laughs> it's got Shirley's Theron with a robot arm, or mechanical arm, in a big rig. She's just driving a big rig that's got kill switches. There's guns under the steering wheel. Oh my god! There's dirt bikes and exploding uh, paint bombs, and uh, dudes called the Bullet Farmer, uh, and uh, water just raining down. It's got aquifers. Oh my god! The visuals of this movie—it's just full of cool stuff. And lines like "Witness me, witness me, uh, man." Yeah, people spray chrome onto their teeth to get high, and then jump off of one car onto another. What the hell? <laughs> oh my god! It's got a giant sandstorm uh, chase sequence, and that's like the start of the movie. What a picture! Uh, it's a miracle nobody died. Uh, that is true. Yeah, it's the movie. It does look dangerous. It's the movie so dangerous and so incredible that they had to write books about it. They couldn't help it. Um, I'm I'm glad everybody's okay. I I'm I'm glad Tom Hardy didn't hurt Charlize Theron, but boy, do I not like Tom Hardy a little bit uh, after hearing about how weird he was on this movie. Mm. It sounds like they're friends now, or at least, you know, are, you know, tolerate each other as coworkers in the, the larger business that they work in. But uh, yeah, I, I can see not liking the people you're seeing every day working on this movie. I imagine it was quite hot. And if somebody's being a uh, little method actor diva and taking their sweet ass time to get to set, I wouldn't like it either. No. Um, anyway, movies are weird. And uh, I think the production of Mad Max Fury Road is as interesting as the movie itself. Uh, and that's part of why it has made the top 10. Nick, I almost called you Nick. That's weird. Sorry, Dustin. Uh, <laughs> he texted me while we were recording. Oh, because like, what show are we on? What are we yeah, doing? Yeah, he texted me while I was recording. <laughs> my my <laughs> feelings are hurt. Also, six is what I needed to say. Six. Which, okay. What's your number six? What's my number six? My number Dustin. six is a uh, second entry from Robert Bresson. It is Ohazard Balthazar, uh, which is probably not shocking to either of no. you, dear friends. Uh, it is also a movie both of you need to see. I know. Uh, I'm not judging. I'm just well, saying. Not judging. Huh? I know you're not judging. Know, He's I, judging. I'm not judging. I'm judging myself. The, I'm not. <laughs> good, good for you, Arthur. <laughs> he doesn't care. No. Uh, it is a. It's 95 minutes long, so it's a. It's a tight, close to 90, and it is a movie about basically the long suffering of a donkey, the long process towards sainthood. It is a movie about how one endures much to uh, become holy. It is about holiness. It's like that Todd Salon's movie, Wiener Dog. It, um, I'm, may, I think is like this. I think, I think, th- I'm pretty perhaps, sure. I'm pretty sure. Perhaps. I'm talking about two movies I haven't seen, but I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> They're both movies I really want to see. But Ohazar Balthazar is an absolutely beautiful, moving, and, and, and emotionally 
connective film, even though most of the performance is going to be from the donkey, which does not do much acting, uh, yet the donkey seems to manage to act. And uh, the way in which we uh, project and empathize is uh, really, really powerful. It is, 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 is really an spiritual experience as a film, and I couldn't recommend it uh, anymore. Uh, it's got that sparse means, uh, again, that transcendental cinema style that Schrader talks about. It is probably one of the best examples of it as well. So um, I like Ohazard a lot. Marathon idea. Ohazard, uh, Balthazar, uh, Wiener Dog, uh, First Cow, uh, and uh, War Horse. Yeah, okay, movies about animals. And that pig. Are, where and animals are the main character. Yeah, yeah, I like we'll, that. We'll put Pig back in. Pig, just, pig, pig, just, he's no, not the main pig's character. Not the, yeah, no, it doesn't yeah, work. It is to me. It's I, not. I agree. I, I, I understand what you're saying. I love her, too. She's not the main <laughs> why, character why, why of that movie. Why can't you love her? <laughs> why don't you cook me a meal and we'll talk about it? <laughs> don't deny my heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, don't shit on Arthur's really good marathon. <laughs> no, it's a great We've marathon. We've already talked about Pig. I, I'm just being a brat right now. I know you are. I'm chastising you. Call me the wrong name. Quotes around right now. Um, number six, Arthur, what comes in for six for you? Speaking of method actor divas, uh, <laughs> uh he was just talking about how we're all, all of our personas are performances. Yeah, he's Mal not wrong. Uh, I know he's not wrong, but he, he did just point it out. Well, this movie's also about long suffering. Uh, it's also <laughs> transcendentalist and he just name dropped the guy himself. Paul Schrader's first reformed man. That movie's good. Uh, it's so good. Uh, it's, I see you, Arthur. It's got so much going on. I see you. Uh, I love it. Ethan Hawke and Amanda Seyfried are incredible as, uh, uh, this character takes on this charge to, uh, change the world and the drastic ways at which he will go to do so, or at least thinks he will do so. And maybe does so. Um, it also gave us the Pepto cocktail, um, which is a wild bit of imagery. Oh man. Um, it is, it's about faith and calling and your place in this world and how to navigate that and the social responsibility that leaders have and how they navigate that, how they counsel, how they take up charges, uh, and the best ways to proceed forward. It's it's got a lot going on, a lot to say. Um, and it's very bare bones in a lot of ways. Um, aspect ratio framed uh, that, that academy style. It's shot gorgeously. Uh, it is. Um, I, I love the production design, the simplicity of this little room off of the church and the church itself and. Uh, there's so much to admire in that, in the way that's presented. And the cinematography is just gorgeous as we get these beautiful uh, dawn and dusk shots as he is out and about pondering his place. And then we get a weird uh, space trip scene as uh, they have an outer body experience. Um, it's weird, and it's great, and it's powerful, and it's dynamic, and it's incredible. It's first reformed. It's a great movie, absolutely. Let's we'll talk it. about it again. Very much. All right. What's number six for you, Dalton? My number six is Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. Mm. Um, I have not seen this movie since I first saw it, and I first saw it when I was a teen. Uh, but I watched the opening credits of this movie a couple weeks ago. Uh, I watched Rosie Perez dance to fight the power by Public Enemy, and I knew, oh, yep, nope, still top ten. <laughs> still yeah. top ten. This movie rules. Uh, every- I have also not seen it since my teenage years. Yeah, I've been... Uh, Which desper- is 10 years longer ago than it was for you. I know, yeah. I've been <laughs> desperately meaning to rewatch this movie, uh, but I think about it all the time. Uh, because I'm... I This movie compels you and begs you to do the right thing. Uh, and Mookie did do the right thing, and anybody who tells you he didn't Mookie missed did the point the right of the movie. Uh, it's a great film. Uh, and uh, we'll talk about uh, Love and Hate 
again in just like a few seconds on my next pick. Uh, yeah, I, 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 there's really not anything I need to say about Do the Right Thing. I think it's a movie that speaks for itself. Uh, all the performances are outstanding. Um, I'm, I'm just thinking about Sam Jackson's DJ right now. Mm. Think about the old guys in the corner, too. Just yeah. bullshitting at everybody. So funny! What a good movie! Yeah, it's real. It's 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 funny too. It's, it's incre- so fun. it's, it's incredibly funny. Yeah, it, it's it is extremely entertaining. While also like you know, it's, it's dead serious, dead serious, and funny is that's what's so good about Spike Lee. And this, I could have put a lot of Spike movies on my top one hundred. Black Klansman. I mean, it's got a similar kind of. Black Klansman came close to making my list. Uh, Defy Bloods came really close I to like making my list. Yeah, I do too. Uh, I, but I think that's what much like we talked about with Parasite. He's a filmmaker who sees the genre filmmaking in everyday life and like finds a way to make everyday life feel like a movie. Uh, I don't know. He's, he's just great. Uh, it's it's uh, an incredible movie. Uh, Dustin, we are now in the top five. Top five. Number five for me comes again from France. It's Leo Carac's uh, Holy Motors. That was the movie. You remember earlier when I was like, oh, what was the movie that came up? Mm. It, was, it was Holy Motors. Oh, okay. But I, didn't I was even... wondering if it reared his head. I man, I'm so mad. If I had gotten a chance to rewatch Holy Motors before making my list, there's a pretty I good thought about chance it, it yeah. would have made it. Man, it's a good movie. I and mean, it's you such know, a good if movie. I'd seen it again, it might have. Yeah, it is a film in which uh, Denis Levant plays well all the roles, yep. but he absolutely character morphs from character to character in these little vignettes in which he lives his life as an actor. Again, talk about performativity. Talk about the ways in which our lives are sort of full of performances and the ways in which those tropes sort of define who we are as characters. Also, Kylie Minogue shows up for a little bit, and the single most uh, celebratory, single most energetic, the single most fist-pumping the air experience of the accordions of your life in this film. I know, accordion music, but you will punch the air if you have a soul at all watching that film. accordion sequence kicks ass. Man, so much. It comes at such a perfect point in the movie, too. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it works as kind of an uh, an interlude, yeah. is, is the way it ends up working, or intermission, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's... Did we talk about that for the main show, or for the short-lived Good Trash to Cinema? Way to cinema? back early, early on yeah. in the history of the show. Yeah. So, uh, about man, a million years ago. It's an incredible film. It is totally worth your time. Uh, I could not recommend... I mean, just, man, watch Holy Motors. It is, it's available for free with sub, or not subtitles, with ads in a number of places, and places you can rent it. Uh, it's going to be around forever, but it's, it's an incredible movie, and it's definitely, definitely a movie you should get to at some point. So, moving on. What is your number five there, Arthur? Well, speaking of everyday performativity, uh, my number five came in on Dalton's list at number 57, and it is Peter Weir's the Truman Show. That movie's um, good. I knew it'd be pretty uh, high yeah. on your list. Yeah. I love this movie so much. Um, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's an incredible comedy, but it has so much to say about uh, identity and purpose and the spiritual element that kind of goes into this is Kristoff has developed this world where he controls what one man does. Kristoff. Um, Kristoff. <laughs> did Kristoff tell you that, for giants? <laughs> um but it's also still super prescient about uh, social media and reality TV and our fascination and obsession with these stories that play out in other people's lives. And I think there is just kind of a global truth to that, to invest in stories about people that we don't and don't know. And I, I think there's something powerful about that. And it stood the test of time so well. It's so smart. It's so sharp. It's so heartwarming and endearing. 
Uh, and Jim Carrey. Uh, it, it doesn't work, I don't think, without Jim Carrey no, as, no. as Truman. And, I think that's fair. Yeah, and that, that final image of, of him climbing those stairs against the sky for, and mm. good afternoon, good evening, and good night. And it's a great final image. It's a perfect ending. As he laughs and walks off and takes his bows. It's, it's yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible filmmaking. Uh, great script. Uh, great story. It's, yeah, I love it. It's Truman Show. Very cool, very cool. What comes in at number five for you, Dalton? My number five is uh, the only film that this director ever made. It is Charles Lawton's The Night mm. of the Hunter. Oh, yeah. That's right hand love, left hand hate. There it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's the connection. Yeah. Uh, I, I struggled for a long time, which which was going to be six and which was going to be five. I knew this and Do the Right Thing were going to be next to each other. I had a, I had a hard time deciding which was going to go. But I think I decided Spike Lee would understand as a fan of uh, uh the Night of the Hunter, I figured he'd get it. Yeah. So I put Night of the Hunter at number five. What a magical little movie. Uh, every time I watch this, it casts a spell on me, man. I, I just think it's incredible. Uh, it's a hard world for little things, uh, and, and this movie understands that childhood is like a hyper-specific time in your life, and it sees how children see the bad things that happen in the world. Uh, and it, it, it takes that, and it manages to do something with it. It is really hard to make movies with and about children. And this movie somehow manages to do it while also being a serial killer movie? Wild. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, There is no uh, Silence of the Lambs without Night of the Hunter. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's no a lot of movies without Night of the Hunter. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just, like, takes that German German expressionist film style we've talked about and brings it into sort of this American traditional Hollywood filmmaking style and merges the two of them into a really unique-looking film. And I, I, Lawton's time as a, uh, a theater uh, person, a theater director, I think brings a lot to every performance, including the incredible Robert Mitchum performance that is uh, the, the villain. Is he even given a name? Is he just the preacher? I think he's given a name at some oh, point, Oh, I think right? there is a, there's got to be a name. Yeah, he's just the preacher to me. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's all I think of him as. Yeah, I'm certain there's got to be a God is Mitchum good in this. But, uh, Harry Powell. Harry Powell. Uh, thank you. I knew his he had name. That's right. Harry as soon as you Hole. said Harry Powell, I was like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> Harry Hole. <laughs> My number four is the Snowman. <laughs> God, if only. Uh, I, I'd be uh, doing a disservice though if I didn't also mention Lillian Gish, who when mm-hmm. she shows up, like, just makes this movie her own. Uh, one of the great, like, second half of a movie characters of all time. So, yeah, you know what? You know, you know what I mean. I love it when a mm. character just like yeah. shows up and injects new life yeah. into a movie. Yeah, and yeah, when Lillian Gish shows up in Night of the Hunter, it's just like, oh, I understand what this movie's about now. Like it, it like really coalesces around her character in such an interesting way. Like I just I love the structure of this movie. Uh, yeah, Night of the Hunter. Uh, it is an incredible film, and uh, if you want to hear us talk about it at length, we've done it. Uh, Dustin, what is your number four? My only superhero entry. Wow, really high up. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Nice, okay, sure. <laughs> because, because it's a superhero movie. It's a superhero it movie, is. but it's also a wuxia film. It angly directs yeah. an incredibly moving, uh, female-centric film. Um, yeah, Still thinking I, about the friendship is over. <laughs> yeah, the friendship is over, and off they go. And it is a better movie than Hero. I, I, I sort of have come back around on that a little bit. It depends mm. on what day. Uh, perhaps for me sometimes, sure. but uh, they're they're both very very good movies. But for me, I, I really do think the way it changed the game for Wuxia in twentieth uh, century film uh, distribution 
and uh, provided opportunities to sort of see some of that transnational uh, commerce move back and forth is, is pretty important there. And then just, you know, the cast themselves, they're just, Chow fat is incredible. Uh, Michelle Yao, uh, we could go on and on and on. Uh, Pepe Meng, um, Pepe Chang, excuse me, is Jade Fox coming back all the yeah. way from Come Drink With Me, those great King Who films of the 1960s uh, as uh, Jade Fox. She's just great. And uh, Zhi Zhang, uh, who is our sort of main spunky, plucky little she's character. She's so good in this Man, movie, she's too. good. Yeah. And she's also very good in House of Flying Daggers, but um, I, lo- I love her a lot in this. I just love the movie. And it is, again, a moving, thoughtful, artistic expression of, okay, sure, we got all this sort of superhero-y kind of stuff going on with uh, the, the incredible ability to do kung fu and this sort of destiny, which, again, sounds very comic book-esque as a plot device. Another movie that gets that action movies or musicals, I think, as yes, well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but yet begins to be this profound sort of meditation on longing, unrequited love, honor, friendship, and uh, what does it mean to find some sort of sense of independence? Uh, in, in ways, uh, it's, it's got the soul that many Marvel movies lack. Hmm. So uh, for me, that's why it comes in at number four. What comes in at number four for you, Arthur? Yeah, um, my uh, um, quintessential hitch, uh, it's Psycho. Um, yeah. So good. Yeah, for me, it's the it's the one, uh, and I think it's because it's the I think the one I encountered first as a as a kid. Um, uh, my mom introduced me uh, to probably a lot of movies uh, that I was maybe too young for. I don't know, uh, <laughs> but for me, it is the textbook Hitch. Uh, anything you want to study about Hitchcock, you can go to Psycho and do it, and uh, that's uh, the, the meta element of him. Uh, it is you know the Hitchcock blondes. It is the man on a run. It is the voyeurism. It is it is the cyclical narrative structure uh sounds like hitch didn't need to ask stanford he needed to ask you about why psycho was such a big hit (laughs) you've you've got it you got to figure it out for him it it just works on on so many levels um and uh, again you know this is a movie i showed in class several years ago uh when i was just adjuncting a long time ago um to do for for some assignment but you know it it is one of those movies like how are they going to react right It, it is 50 something years old at the time black and white how will they respond and they were hooked and i think again that's the the timelessness of it that it can still hook an audience and it still works so well and to be so invested into these characters and the story of norman bates and his mother and uh this this hotel and uh how that all comes together and it's eerie fascinating and so influential i mean yeah and it's that, that shower sequence alone has shaped uh, pop culture uh, for the the following fifty years. Not to mention the rest of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's a high bar. It's a triple crown pick. Yeah, I love mm-hmm. it. It absolutely yeah. is. It should be worthy. Yeah, worthy, worthy. There you go. Moving on. What is your number four there, uh, Dalton? It is another triple crown pick. It is the as we've established the best Christmas movie. It's Alfonso Cuarón's Children of Men. Um, I guess what what can I say that the two of you haven't already said about this incredible movie? Um, I will say why it speaks to me so much. Uh, My last couple of rewatches over the you know it's a film that I fell in love with when it first came out. I I got got to it fairly early. I didn't see it in theaters, uh, but I got to it pretty early, and it's sort of developing reputation as a great film. And uh, it really hit me. And uh, I've watched it maybe three times since 2016. Um, and every time it really like the more I watch it, the more it really hits for me. And it, it is Clive Owen's uh, performance as a 
civil servant who is a political radical who sees a world he can't do anything about and gets a chance to do something. And uh, even though he's not awesome and is not awesome, it's not going to be cool. And nobody's going to thank you for it. Um, well, that's not true. Somebody's going to thank you for it, but it's not. Nobody's going to remember you. Probably. But he's not going to Rambo his way. It's going to be dangerous. Yeah, it's, it's going to be, be dangerous. Su- yeah, and, and you're going to have to get over how dangerous and how afraid how dangerous it is and how afraid you are. It's it's a movie about fear of doing the right thing. Uh, it's some you mm. know. It it is another do the right thing movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's about how scary that can be. Um, and uh, it's uh, ah, it's just an incredible movie. You know, we talked about obviously the ending and the shooting there, but that car chase. That's my favorite so action good. Yeah, it's. I actually like. It just, I just thought about it. Yeah, and so good. I'm glad you brought it up because yeah. you're right. We talked about that. That and that's uh, the thing the that most take. people go to is the long take, the end there. Uh, but that car chase is so well shot and and executed. I also really like the um, the opening of the movie that that unbroken the take cafe of, of the cafe yeah. Yeah. bombing. Yeah, it's um, incredible. Which just makes you f- understand like. You know, I've never, uh, dis- despite my government's attempts to make me believe so, I've never lived in fear of a bombing, uh, despite it actually having have happened in my home city. Uh, but that that sequence in the cafe like makes you go, oh, whoa. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if this Kron- world is dangerous. Kron had to have talked to people who've like seen a bombing because like it really like communicates the the, the, the aftermath, like just like what an opening of a movie. Yeah. And then Clive Owen goes to work that day. That's just normal. He yeah. goes to work. Yeah. Another day at the office, baby. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what else are you going to do? I mean. I don't know. It's it's uh, the future. I got to get the papers done, man. <laughs> I got to push my papers. I'm the paper pusher. What else am I going to do? They don't pay me if I don't come in. Yeah. Oh, strawberry cough. Come strawberry on. cough. Strawberry cough. Strawberry cough. That's what we'll end on. We'll end on strawberry cough. <laughs> that's, that's a happier note, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, God, I hope the future of children of men is not our future. Uh, every day do I hope that. Children of Men. It's a great film. Very good. Very good. Moving on to our top three. Oh, my God. Number three for me is another movie uh, from right around this period at the uh, beginning of the 20 teens. Uh, It is a good pair with Holy Motors because it is also uh, thinking about this idea of the death of cinema, the the digital from uh, from. Yeah, we didn't really talk about that Holy Motors aspect about the sort of the the history of movie making. Yeah, real through line in holy motors it absolutely is and uh, another film that also is sort of wrestling with those same kinds of questions but also doing so in, in a very kind of personal and spiritual kind of way is a peachy tiong's Wiester calls which is hard to say he goes by joe in the states joe Wiester calls uncle boomy who can recall his yeah. past lives i knew this would be top mm-hmm. 10 for you for sure I, I, I love this movie absolutely adore it and in this film we see boomy who is on the verge of death recalling some of his past lives or some of his past lives coming to recall him. His wife visits him uh, from the grave after her death. His son, who has gone off into the woods and become a woodland spirit of some sort, uh, of a very, very kind of a yeti sort of wood spirit, uh, also visits. Also, there is a section in there uh, anticipating a possible future of fascist sort of repression told in still snapshots in La Jetty style. It is slow cinema meditation on just the nature of culture and the the, con- the, 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 
the ways in which we consume media and that the way in which that media may in turn consume us and finding a way towards life in the midst of all of that. A lot of uh, non-professional uh, actors and uh, a lot of very, very realistic kind of shooting uh, at work as well. It is an incredibly moving film um, that also involves a sex scene between a woman and a catfish. So... If you're not sold yet... Movies! <laughs> I didn't know it was a prequel to Shape of Water. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's there's also that. So, um, Uncle Boomy, Who Can Recall His Past Lives. Incredible film. I recommend it. Moving on. Number three for you, Arthur. What do you say? Uh, my number three has already been talked about quite a bit. Um, so, I'll point out the things that, that I really admire about it. Uh, it is Michael Curtiz's 1942's Casablanca. Man, yeah. Great um, picture. Yeah, I mean, you, you two have already talked pretty pretty lengthily about what works about it. Um, but for me, it, it is, again, you know, I talked about this with Texas Chainsaw, but a, a movie that comes together when it shouldn't come together. Mm-hmm. Uh, this kind of perfect storm, all of the elements have to align. The stars align. Everything just works. A movie that shouldn't have become a cultural sensation that did somehow. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it, it's a movie that's noted for, you know, there was not a completed script. Uh, there was terseness on set. It, it, it somehow shouldn't have worked, um, but it did, and did so well. Uh, it's iconic. Um, you've, you've mentioned the quotability of it. Uh, we can talk about the imagery uh, of, of Bogey in that outfit, that trench coat, that hat. Um Everything about that, um, but also um, oh, I lost my train of thought. Um, the what was it? Um, crap! Good night, Casablanca. Perfect storm. Oh, it, it is the other time that the Academy got it right. Oh yeah, oh, right you, on. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Is, you know of the handful of times that's happened. Yeah, for forty two film to win Best Picture. Yeah, that's a that's a good. And, and it's Casablanca. Yeah, it stood the test of time. Yeah. Forty one the year before we can we can argue about Citizen Kane versus How Green Was My Valley, yeah. but yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Casablanca got it right, and uh, I admire it so much. And it's it, it does kind of feel like oh, you put Casablanca on your list. Yeah, I put Casablanca on my list. It's 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 incredible film uh, that overcame the odds and has just given us so many iconic images and pictures and stories. And it's it's a perfect love movie, a perfect love story, and. Uh, it doesn't wrap up as neat and tidy as you want it to, but it wraps up in a way that makes sense. And uh, I admire that about it. Uh, and you got to fight for the greater good. Sometimes uh, you got to do uh, the right thing when the right thing's hard. And that's, uh, that's Casablanca. Very cool. Very cool. What comes in at number three for you, Dalton? Uh, number three, it was on Arthur's list. It is a coming of age film. It is a first feature. It is, uh, I almost called uh, called it a movie by the lead actor. It is not Saoirse Ronan's Lady Bird, although you could call kind it of that. Is. You could call it that. It's also Greta Gerwig's Lady Bird. Uh, what a good movie. Uh, this... Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to try to... So this movie makes its way into my top three for a lot of reasons, other than how good it is. Uh, but it speaks to me deeply on, on a personal level. It, the Lady Bird's family reminds me of my family in a lot of ways. Their dynamics remind me of my own family's dynamics. Um... I am reminded of myself in high school when I look at Lady Bird's two bad for different reasons boyfriends. Uh, she's got two of them. One of them is worse than the other, 
they're both not great, and they both really remind me of me uh, when I was about 17 years old. Mm. And uh, this movie, like, totally owns me. I see scene by Greta Gerwig, is what I'm telling you. Uh, I see scene for the phony that I am, and I, I respect that uh, she has such an astute observation of the people in her life, because that, that's a big part of what makes this movie, like, feel so wholesome, is, like, how lived in it feels, how honest and earnest and autobiographical it feels, but how that turns into universe. I'm, I am not a young lady from Sacramento, California, but I definitely feel seen by this little lady from Sacramento, California. Um, I get it, man. Uh, it's just good filmmaking. Uh, and you know, it's, it's the movie I uh, took my wife to before I proposed to her. Uh, it's, it's a very important movie to me. Uh, it means the world to me. And uh, I just think it's about, it's about as good as a coming of age movie can be. And, uh, you know, it's, it's about coming of age when I came of age. So, it, it, you know, I, I'm, I'm trapped by my own nostalgia. What can I say? I'm a sucker. We, Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. We've, uh, you know, we've been, uh, Dalton and I have been sharing uh, pictures back and forth of uh, the upcoming Barbie movie starring uh, Gaz and uh, Margot Robbie. Yeah. Uh, yes. And my anticipation of that movie being something to behold is because of how good Lady Bird is and yeah. how good Greta Gerwig is. And Little Women, too. I, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very excited. Well, and that's what's so interesting about her as a filmmaker is she's got this huge career as a, you know, sort of an indie, indie darling, yeah. you know, working with um, Bombeck and yeah, Bombeck. others. Thank you. Couldn't think of Bombeck's name. See, and this is this is how you know I'm a real Greta Gerwig fan. I always forget Noah Bombach. Always forget his name. She's like, you know, <laughs> that, that guy that Greta Gerwig used to work with. I don't know. Th- think she dates him, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Some, some schmuck. Something. Some, I don't know. He's got a meme. Yeah. <laughs> some movies he's got a meme about. Uh, anyway, yeah, I, I, I just, uh, I'm hyped on her, on everything she does, man. Yeah. yeah she's just, yeah. Uh, that, Excited. It's such a good first feature. Yeah. yeah. Barbie's going to be an interesting movie. Very right. excited. Number two. Number two. My Ooh. last uh, experimental non-narrative film. It is about uh, 13 and a half or right under 14 minutes long. It's Maya Darren's Meshes of the Afternoon. Uh, again, find it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Easy. It is uh, this sort of exploration of, well, again, identity as a woman in the 1940s. This is, again, a 1943 film. It is uh, well, it's a decade before the sort of beginning moments of what will become the new American cinema, uh, spearheaded by Jonas Mikas and others. And so, I mean, honestly, she really was just a decade too late, or too early, I should say, um, coming to the party. Because had she showed up at the same time, there was this other energy at work. Uh, I think perhaps she might have had uh, a different trajectory uh, in her life. But it is a film in which she just sort of wrestles with uh, her identity using a lot of surrealistic imagery. Although I think arguments have been made that's more influenced by film noir than it is about surrealism. And I think uh, they're kind of persuasive uh, that it is a, a film noir after looking at a bunch of Dolly paintings. That would be the kind of movie this is if you have art house kind of uh, uh, in, uh, intentions uh, with your filmmaking. Uh, super, super influential in terms of his visual design. Uh, you can see nods to it in lots and lots of films, uh, most interesting of which is a Sun Ra film called Space is the Place. If you haven't seen Space is the Place, that sounds cool. it is a very, very fun Afrofuturist film uh, from the jazz musician Sun Ra. So just 
put that in your mind and think about it for it would not make anyone's top anything list i don't think but it's very very fun uh nonetheless uh measures of the afternoon maya darren one of the most important uh female filmmakers of all time and definitely one of the most important experimental filmmakers from the united states um ever so uh love her very much and love this film very much moving on what is your number two there arthur uh my number two has already been talked about by dustin uh, and uh, it is uh, it is uh, a movie that brought uh, the art house and uh, the classical together in a way that A twenty four should be backing up money trucks to Nicholas Wendig Greffin's house. It is two thousand eleven's Drive, the best movie of that year, one of the best movies of that decade, uh, an incredible film, uh, so stylishly put together, so well shot, uh, so well acted and performed with a great cast that we already have talked about uh to great length uh it is a vibe movie it is a heist movie it is uh a meditation on violence uh a brutal brutal look at violence uh the pull any punches um featuring an incredible albert brooks uh, as the devil uh ron <laughs> perlman as his sidekick um, so a bizarre uh mask uh, that that Gosling puts on before enacting violence as the, the the vengeful angel, an incredible costume with that scorpion jacket, those gloves. God, the jacket that launched a thousand douchebags. Yeah. <laughs> it only looks cool on one person, and his name's Ryan Gosling. Yes, one hundred percent. Only <laughs> Ryan Gosling can can pull off uh, tall, dark, and mysterious with the scorpion jacket and. Uh, bright 90s uh, lycra pants. Uh, and it's wild. It's wild what that man can do. Um, when you're that pretty, you can pull <laughs> you can off pretty much lot. any lot. It, it, yeah. it does not yeah, matter. it works. Um, but Drive is just, uh, to me, it is it was one of those, when I caught it, when I caught it, you know, kind of foundational for a different period of my life, um, especially about to go into a film studies program. Mm-hmm. I, I think that was a big part of unlocking some doors there. Um, but gosh, yeah, I just, I, I think it's incredible filmmaking. It's a tight 90. Uh, a lot happens in that, in that m- moment. And, uh, again, I, I think, uh, the, the, the way the decade turned and gave birth to the movies of a 24. I, I don't think that happens without this movie. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and so for that, I think it is pivotal and foundational and it's incredible. Yeah. And it's drive. My number two does not exist without your number two. My number two is also an A24 joint. Uh, it is also a movie that deserves to uh, have dump trucks full of money backed up to the maker's home. Uh, they're not going... Nobody's going to give him those dump trucks full of money, although they let him make another movie. Uh, it's already been mentioned on Dustin's list. Or no, on Arthur's list. I'm sorry. I don't think it made your list, Dustin. Uh, but a lot of films that are influenced by it made your list. It's Paul Schrader's First Reformed. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I love it. Yeah. Um, I think Arthur really... Uh, covered a lot of what works about this movie. Uh, I, I'm sort of at a loss for words because it it rests so firmly in my soul. Uh, it's I, one of the best movies of its decade. I think the best movie of that year. Uh, of, yeah. Uh, yeah, an essential 2019 film. I think it was collectively our number one for that year. I believe I think it right. was. I think yeah. it was all of ours. Uh, all of our favorite films of. I'm trying to see if any 2019. 2018. Yeah, I thought yeah. it was 2019, but yeah, it's. Yeah, Parasite was the next year. That's yeah. how I know. Mm-hmm. Yep. There you go. Um, hope and despair exist simultaneously is what I'll say. And, uh, that's an important lesson that this film has to teach, uh, that, uh, you're going to experience a lot of 
unpleasant feelings in life, and there's going to be a lot of terrible things you can't do anything about. And uh, you have to find some way to be of solace and comfort to the people around you and focus on what you can, uh, what changes you can affect in this world uh, and uh, accept the things that are beyond your control. Uh, and also, Pepto-Bismol and Bourbon. What an image. <laughs> what a striking image. Uh, Man. Uh, uh, Ethan Hawke uh, wearing barbed wire. What an image. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a motion picture, and uh, it makes me understand why uh, somebody would write an entire book about transcendental filmmaking. Because, uh, yeah, uh, this is the film that made me interested in that, and someday I'll get around to watching all the masters. Uh, but uh, for now, I've seen this one. I find it pretty fucking compelling. <laughs> I find it so compelling that I went and saw its follow-up, The Card Counter, by myself. Uh, a movie that is really interesting. You guys should catch up with. That's, uh, that's now on HBO Max. Yeah, <laughs> I did notice it was there. I was going to catch it. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's not as good as First Reformed, but uh, it's it's like a very interesting companion film. Yeah, we can't knock it out every time, so no. I don't expect that. I'm just going to say I admire that HBO Max put it front and center on one of their giant title cards instead of burying it like Netflix would have done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, we I got admire the that card counter. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh, sure. That's residual right. money. It must be about poker. Let's watch it, Bob. <laughs> it's about poker. Who's Bob? I have I so many know. questions. <laughs> There's a fictional Bob in this story. Uh, I, I guess what, guys? Drum roll, please. We're now... Oh, well done, guys. We're at number one. <laughs> Gosh. Sorry, your, comes through clear. I'm, I'm sorry, dear listener, uh, for all of our silliness. But we are now at our number one favorite movies of all time for this week. For this, for this week for this week for this week for this day for today for this hour i tried to pick one that's pretty locked in i i would, yeah, I would say this 100%. is um in my rotating top five okay yeah. generally yeah so uh i know a previously mentioned film uh who has many influences in other films that have also been previously mentioned uh my number one film is 1979's Andre Tarkovsky directed Stalker. Dalton's already said quite a bit about it. It is an incredible movie. It is three hours long, and it still works. And the reason why it works is because it's three hours long, and it's a movie about how it's more about the journey than it is about the destination in the first place. That it is about what the spiritual quest is of itself. That it is not that you want to get the object, because the object is not a thing that is apprehendable. Rather, it is the search for the object in which you find yourself. It's incredible in being able to do that. There are a number of other films that are greatly influenced by this film, already mentioned, I believe, also by Dalton, yeah. uh, is uh, um, Alex Garland's Annihilation. Yeah, made my list in the top 50, I think. Yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, it's a little ways back. It's yeah. I've, I've slept An since we recorded. An episode or two ago, yeah. yeah. And so Annihilation is very much uh, influenced by this. Also, the uh, podcast Tannis, if you've ever listened to much Tannis, there's, there's a lot of influence on Stalker there. And then finally, uh, the way in which spiritual questing and finding and pursuit, this Tannis sort of Annihilation meets Stalker world in the world of the regular just app sort of way in which it encounters something like geocaching is the app Randonautica. I don't know if you're familiar with Randonautica. No, but I know about geocaching. Uh, well, it's, it's, you find, it basically selects a random destination for you mm. with a quantum algorithm that is supposed to be responsive to intention. I see. And it is a, there's a fun little Reddit world in which you can get horror stories abound. Don't trespass. Don't, you know, do yeah, that of kind of stuff. But, um, 
Renanautica is a lot of fun. Uh, sounds like something you've done before. <laughs> uh, me and Josiah have a good time with this. And it's a way... To Anything's win. the zone if you choose to make it the zone. Well, exactly, because the divine's everywhere. It's not about the room. Yeah. There's, there, there's no place where the room is, because the room isn't anywhere to start with. That's this movie. It's incredible. I love Tarkovsky. Uh, this is my favorite Tarkovsky film, much more than Solaris, uh, much more than The Sacrifice, much more than Mirror, much... This is my favorite. This is my favorite by a lot. It's and an incredible movie. So uh, check it out. Number one, Stalker. What's your number one favorite movie of all time, Arthur? I'm so excited. I'm drum rolling. Well, I guess the question that remains is, have the lambs stopped screaming at? It's your number it's one? Your num- yeah, baby! It's all right. The Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, uh, it's that a movie makes- that, I, I mean... Uh, one of my earliest uh, recollections is uh, is that image of Clarice Starling running through the training grounds at at uh, uh, Langley, yeah, Quantico. Uh, and uh, it's it's a movie that's been in my brain ever since. I think uh, since I was a, a young child, uh, who again probably saw this movie way too young. Um, but my mom loved it, and then here we are. Uh, it's uh, I think it's a perfectly structured film. I think so often about the arrival at James Gum's house. Uh, and that pull the rug that, oh, they're at the wrong house. Uh, it's a great moment. I think so often of Hannibal Lecter's escape uh, and, and, and the perfect uh, prison escape. Uh, it's endlessly quotable. Um, just a dynamite movie. Um, Goodbye Horses, uh, obviously a great song. Um, Ted Levine we spoke of already. We spoke of Tony Hopkins. We have spoke of Jodie Foster. I, I, I put Clarice Starling on a high pedestal of, of, of characters and women in film. And uh, not only as, you know, a, a woman in her job uh, working against the odds, a trainee, mm-hmm. not even a full detective yeah, working in the field against the odds. And the way that she manages to counteract the manipulative forces that work against her being sent into this scenario as bait to toy with Lecter. And the way she is able to pivot and be the deciding factor in the way this story unravels. And uh, I think it's incredible. I think it's incredible filmmaking. We've talked about the close-ups. We've talked about all the editing. We've talked about, I don't know, we've talked about Tak Fujimoto's cinematography. Oh, we haven't. God. But yeah, but, yeah he's, Ooh. yes. It's, it looks incredible. Uh, that Death Skull moth uh, is an iconic image. I, I love this movie. I, I think it is uh, a near as perfect film as you can get. It is very much a perfect film. And absolutely. I, I love Silence of the Lambs. And so there it is. It, it's, it's, it took the number one. And there was little debate about that. So there we are. Well, Dalton, I, I think I know, but I think it's time for you to bring us home. What's your number one is film of all time? Is it going to triple crown winner or not? That's the This curiosity. is a double crown winner. It did not make Arthur's list. Uh, it is the last franchise uh, feature on it my list. It didn't make his list either. It didn't? No, I thought it did. I don't think so. I thought so. it made it way back. Uh, well, I started my list with Keanu Reeves, and we're ending my list with Keanu Reeves. It is Lily and Lana Wachowski's The Matrix. It didn't make your list either. It's all right. It's not a triple crown winner. Then that's fine. It is a no Uh, crown winner. No. (laughs) It just wins number one on your list, which is incredible. You just said something about a, what, it was a noir if, what was it you said? Near noir? A near noir? No, it was one of your top fives, though. You said it was a noir if it did. If you looked at a bunch of Salvador Dali paintings and and, and decided I was going to get that feeling in a noir. This does that, but with anime. Yes. Uh, This says, what if noir was more anime? Mm -hmm. And what if it was gayer? And what if it was endlessly quotable? 
what if I said things to you like, not like this, and <laughs> I don't believe it? Uh, what if it was also Whoa. about friendship and mentorship and uh, found family? And uh, what if it taught a nine-year-old me the allegory of the cave by just being a good movie? Uh, this, is, this is one of my most formative mo- memories, is I, I remember sitting in the theater watching The Matrix and realizing, becoming aware of the apparatus of the projector for the first time in my life, like really becoming aware of the light coming from the back of the room, creating the image on screen. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's a movie that taught a child like high level film rhetoric. I, I wouldn't come to understand what I was realizing in that moment for years and years and years. But as an eight year old uh, going on nine, sitting there watching the projector, watching the beam, watching the screen going, whoa, just just like, you know, it's a movie that makes you go, whoa, it's a magic movie. It absolutely. is. It, it just hits. I, I, well, I think Arthur said this about Silence of the Lambs. I think it's true for this. Like it just it's paced so well, like each each little bread crumb, crumb leads to another little breadcrumb leads to an action scene, leads to a, a moment of of high thought uh, of real kind of philosophical head scratching um, leads to another action scene, uh, leads to uh, a story about uh, revolution and self-acceptance and uh, the personas that we put on mm-hmm. and, and how we choose who we're going to be. Um, I think it's an incredible film, and uh, it is the reason I'm into movies, probably. Uh, it's It's been with me for a long time and will remain such. Um, all of the entries in this franchise, I think, made my top 200. Yeah. Uh, I think the other three are all in, somewhere in my top 200. Uh, I'd have to go look. But uh, as I was putting my list together, they, the other three kept circling. And I was like, no, no, sorry. None of you are going to make the top 100. <laughs> I can't do that. I can't do that. But I, I shall be putting uh, the one that started it all. Pressed again, I could see that movie making my top 50. Yeah. On, on a different day. No, I day. totally get it. Uh, that, I, that was why I was so surprised. I, had, I could have sworn I remembered you mentioning it. And mm. you're like bottom 50. But I, I thought I came up. Uh, yeah. That's uh, it's my very favorite film, and uh, it means the world to me. It's a great movie. All right, dear listener, that's our top one hundred in their entirety. Um, Arthur, you've got some spreadsheety kind, spreadsheety kind of things. <laughs> I feel that way about spreadsheets. <laughs> I, usually, I'm saying, come on, spreadsheet like things. We'll yeah. say it that you got way. Any stats that are interesting? Oh, I only have a couple right now. We could probably pull this, but the biggest thing is we only had 39 overlaps between the three of us. Wow. And 30 of the we only had 30 unique movies in our top 20. So most of the overlap came in the top 20, which makes, makes sense. sense. That's sort of I what think. we predicted, I thought. Yeah, yeah I think I so. Think as well. So, but yeah. Wow. Very cool, very cool. Well, all right then. Um, with that, um, this has been a blast. I hope you've enjoyed this, dear listener. Well, do you want to hear about next week? Oh, well, I are guess, we doing that? Or are we... I, well, I guess, well, we're going to do social media, then go I didn't to know that. if we were going to wrap that up or you were wrapping up now. I, I, I didn't know when the if you were circling or landing. I, I, was I circ- think he's circling. I was okay. circling. Um, Dalton yeah, circle. He's getting up to go to the bathroom, and now the co-pilot's having to take over the circling. <laughs> would, you, would you circle us into some shortly. social media? I'll circle us in, yeah. Uh, did you say not to call him Shirley? Yeah. That's what I thought. Don't ever call me Shirley. Uh, so if you've enjoyed our top 100, you can let us know in a couple of places. Uh, if you want to send us your top 100, uh, all that long form feedback can go to goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, for shorter form feedback or just to keep up with what we're doing, it's at goodtrashmedia on Twitter. Uh, that's where we post links to every episode uh, or most episodes. You know, we, we futz it every once in a while, but you know, we're busy. 
Get over it. Uh, that's at Good Trash Media on Twitter. Finally, if you want to help us keep the lights on, patreon.com forward slash GTM. Uh, all kinds of fun stuff for you there, including getting to pick a movie for us to watch, which is what we're going to be doing next week. We have a Patreon pick coming up. We've got to deliver on uh, on these with what fans want. This is what they demand. Arthur, you want to tell everybody a little bit more? That's right. We do have a Patreon pick next week from our dear friend and sometimes guest host, our own frightful femme, Kirsten Thurgelson, who has ordered us to go back to Camp Crystal Lake one more time for a final Friday as we take a look at Jason Goes to Hell. The movie titles are liars. The final Friday, which was not the last one. Yeah, but there's three more. Well, there's X three and, more then and then yeah. Jason versus Freddy yeah. and then Two Reboot. Two more and Reboot. Yeah. three. But I mean, well, we'll talk more about that later. Okay. <laughs> this movie is a movie. We'll be talking about that movie next. So you keep watching. A movie watching. that shan't be making anybody's top 100, except maybe Kirsten's. Uh, maybe. I don't know. You keep watching. We'll keep talking. And we'll see you all next time at Cramp Crystal Link. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.